podcast is not live yet. <laughs> There's 18 buttons to press. Hey, you know what? It just it'll just appear more slick. Take two. Brian's used to that. Take two. All Boom. right. Absolutely hey, guess what? One. Now we're back. Sorry, everybody. Sup, everybody. This is Carrick with ACG. I'm here with Johnny and Brian Edward Hill, who is the writer for the comic book for Callista Protocol. He's doing Titans, the TV show. He's done Batman and the Outsiders, Batman Detective, Hong Kong Fooey, which is one of my favorites of all time. And complete surprise that Hong Kong Fooey came back into a uh, into comic book form. We're going to talk to him about the behind the scenes for comics and movies and TV, all that kinds of stuff. And Johnny... Lucky Johnny is the only one with me. We're the skeleton crew. I was saying this the prior take, which I screwed up because we weren't live, but the prior take is that uh, Canada's internet's down, so Abzi couldn't be here. Reg isn't a huge, uh, you know, comic book fan, so we figured that probably makes sense for him to not worry about. And I was having some internet issues, and so we just decided to do it. A tight-knit group of people. So now that we are fully live, I will return it back to Brian Edward Hill. What are you working on right now? Yeah, well, glad to be here. And uh, right now I am writing and producing season four of Titans. Uh, we are in production at the moment. So episodes are getting put together. I'm not sure when our premiere is. So I don't want to kind of, you know, try to mess up on a date, but it, it'll be there soon uh, over there on HBO Max and um, working on the Callisto Protocol comic book stuff. That is really cool. And I'm working on a bunch of things, but I can't really talk about the other ones. But I'm I'm busy over here. I'm busy over here. He is, and he always is. And I saw an interview, uh, because I do do my due diligence, checking out interviews, and I saw an interview um, where where they were asking you, like, you know, you do like to do multiple things. You like to, like, always have something cooking. But there's one thing you don't want to touch. Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. So I knew I had seen you talk about this recently on Twitter, and then I found mm -hmm. an interview where you were talking about why. And the person said, if George Lucas came to you and asked, and you'd just be like, no, no Star Wars. And the, Star Wars. And the desire is to keep it to keep it surprising and fresh so you know nothing about it. And yeah, well, yeah okay, so when you're, working on, when you're working on things, um, you know, you get deeper into the process, right? And, you know, you meet the personalities and, you know, you start to just kind of build relationships with the people that are working on the stuff. Um, and, and you know, it, it kind of dilutes the the core kind of fan experience a little mm -hmm. bit, you know. And I don't have a lot of things that I can just go to for pop cultural solace, you know, because I, you know, I've worked on Batman, I'm working on Titans, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm really grateful to be working on all these things I love. Star Wars is like the one thing that I just go to as a fan, you know, and I don't have any memory of well, that was a bad day in the writer's room or that person got on my nerves or man, I'm really bummed that they threw out that script. I don't want to have any of those feelings when right. I hear Star Wars music, right? I just want to, you know, sit down and play the games or watch the movies or watch the shows and just enjoy it. And, you know, specifically to the George Lucas question, look, if I met with George Lucas, the last thing I'd want to talk to him about would be working on Star Wars. I would rather just, you know, kind of absorb lessons in storytelling, you mm -hmm. know, his, his philosophical understanding of things, his psychological understanding of things, and walk away from that conversation empowered to create my own mythology, um, 
you know, rather than kind of work on, you know, what what's already there, you know, and so it's really about, it's not about like not loving it. I love right. it so deeply, right? In fact, yeah. I mean, I'm wearing a Mandalorian shirt right yeah. now, right? Yeah. So like, it's, it's the deep, deep love of the thing that makes me say, mm, it's perfect, my relationship with Star Wars right now. And, you know, sometimes you just don't want to ruin that. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. It's in a way you always hear that don't take your hobby and make it a business. And, you know, for some people, I think that makes sense. But you're pretty smart in the idea of like you can take your hobby, your thing you love, make it a business, but at the same time, still keep one one or two things sort of innocent over there on the side. So I I, I've been reading the Star Trek because uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan as well. Star Wars, Star Wars. Um, I've been reading the Star Trek comics and, you know, regardless if I, I like some of them, I haven't been a fan of others, but is Star Trek also up there for you? Or is there another IP that's pretty high or is, is pretty much Star Wars the lone, like the lone IP that you would probably not want to jump into? Well, I love Star Trek, but I came to Star Trek a little later. I was probably in my like, you know, mid-teens mm -hmm. when okay, I really gotcha. gravitated to Star Trek because Star Trek was a little uh, denser in its storytelling, you know, than Star Wars was. Star Wars is something that I could completely understand as like a seven-year-old, right? you know, um, because it's, it is the softest of science fiction, mm -hmm. right? It like, it's, it's got a veneer of spaceships and technology, but it, it's really just mythological stuff. Star Trek uh, is kind of like the gateway to hard science fiction, right? I don't think Star Trek is always necessarily hard science fiction, but, you know, it has just enough of it in there that then you're like, oh, okay, now I can read Greg Bear. Now I can dig into Asimov. Now I can get into these things. And so uh, Star Trek was a later kind of adoption for me. And because Star Trek to me is more of a broad concept mm -hmm. where infinite stories can kind of happen underneath it, it would be more interesting to me creatively as opposed to like Star Wars. And I'll just be honest, once you get out of the Skywalker saga part of it, I'm not incredibly interested. You know right. what I mean? Like for me, Star Wars is about Luke, Anakin, Obi-Wan, you know, and all of that. Like that yeah. was what I grew up and what I loved. Star Trek is different because there's so many ways you can go about it, you know? And uh, I was a huge fan of Deep Space Nine, you know, um, especially when it got really complex and turned into uh, very much like a morality story about like war and the rest of it and you know and all that so like yeah yeah Star Trek I would work on in fact a good friend of mine Akiva Goldsman uh, he was a uh, he was on Titans uh, you know working with us on the show for for a while and he's kind of a mentor of mine and so he works over on Star Trek uh, and you know and I've been, we've talked about it a little bit like trying to find the right fit like right now I'm so busy that it's hard for me to jump on to another show because I'm right. on a show right now. But yeah, I would not be surprised if you would see me, you know, boldly going where no one has gone before, uh, you know, in the shorter or near term. Yeah, I think that'd actually be really cool to see you write some of that stuff because I checked out American Carnage you're, uh, and um, and read those. I actually loved those. I could see why some people, I personally, I liked them, but you know, it's you're sure. definitely telling a, a mature right now story, you know, like of, of... I, well, I was in the mood for a crime drama when right. I did that, man. Right. I really wanted to do like a character driven, gritty crime drama on paper uh, because I hadn't done that before. And so that was really what gravitated me to American Carnage for sure. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, going back just a moment for Callista Protocol. So mm. that that's sort of come out of no. I, I personally believe it's come out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, what, I mean, yeah. what I mean by that is. We, people knew about it and they saw something they were like oh it's dead space people it's blah 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 but at the same time 
that that happens a lot where you'd be like, oh, it's this person. Then you see what they're making. And you're like, that's not really what I expected. Callisto right. Protocol is pretty much exactly what mm -hmm. what everybody expected and hoped for from them when you and, and so that we don't, you know, no embargo stuff. But when you have an IP like that, are, can, first of all, can you say, are you telling the story of Callisto Protocol as a comic or are you doing prior or before? If you can't say that, that's fine. Um, I, what I can say is the, the comic book that I'm doing is additive to the experience. Okay. Okay. Um, does that, do you find that you get enough data? Are you sort of working fresh and then, and then giving it to them and they pick apart stuff you can't say or do, or do you find a lot of information? Are they very, inf are, I guess, are, are you well-informed when working on an IP in that, in that position? Well, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was the, you know, the way they reached out to me was so open and so welcoming. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, they just had a really well-constructed narrative universe that I wanted to explore. So it's that, I mean, I make weird decisions when it comes to like what I'll do and what I won't do. Right. You know, right, and it's right. not about scale, really. It's about interest. I'm really grateful to be at a point in my life where I'm not chasing things, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I can sort of say uh, yes or no. And so I just loved where they were coming from with it. And, you know, they kind of opened up the uh, the narrative coffers so I could understand everything fully. Okay. And that made it interesting to work on. It's it's really difficult when you're working on a licensed thing and you, you're just always dealing with restricted access because you can't, you don't you know how to tell a story, right? Yeah. Because you don't know like how, how wide your lane is and how, what kind of moves you can do. And it's a lot of like, pin the tail on the narrative and that can be really frustrating mm -hmm. but if people are are very open like the recent far cry project i did yeah you know? oh that was the other one i'm sorry i didn't mention that he did the comic book for far cry 6 as well it's like far cry rites of passage i think yeah. it's like hardcover and it's it's you know you can just buy the whole thing collected on amazon I, once again like you know ubisoft just kind of opened it all up and said yeah. hey we want to do something that touches on all the villains of these recent games mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know kind of do whatever you want to do and that was really interesting because I've always found the Far Cry villains more interesting than most. Of course. Games, yeah, right? right, right. Whether and they turn you know, out good or not, you still, that's what they sell it on, right? Yeah. Every it, Far Cry it, game it, sold on the villain for the most part now. They were, they were really kind of interesting and compelling, you know? And um, and I was really, I was more entertained by Voss as a player, but just from a psychological, when I sit back and really think about it, the Seed family, you know, I really yeah. thought about it yeah, a lot. Yeah, for, you know? for sure. And, and, you know, and you're playing, you know, you're playing a game, you're, you're, and I'm kind of a completionist. So if I'm playing an open world game, you're, we're, we're talking 60, 75, 80 hours in right. a game, right? And you're, you're spending so much time in the world. And, you know, I'm that lore guy. I got to collect all the things and read all the entries and, you know, do all the stuff. So every game I'm playing, I'm really into, I'm, you know, deeply kind of invested into its lore. Um and so, yeah, if someone reaches out uh, with, you know, a project that I'm familiar with, then, you know, I would certainly do it. Or in, in the case of Callisto, wasn't familiar with the project, right? Because it's new to all of us, but, you know, loved its influences. And I just, you know, it's a sweet spot for me, that kind of mid eighties feeling Ridley Cameron kind mm -hmm. of right. vibe, you know, is really, really interesting to me. So yeah, it just kind of was a, it was a hand in glove fit. Yeah, it's nice to hear somebody. I mean, not that I think a lot of people are at the point where, you know, they can pick and choose, but it's always nice to hear somebody who you can turn something down that I think 
especially if you're in that middling zone where you need a little bit more money or or you're really in need of money, you might make that choice to where you're not super interested and the passion, especially for a writer, I, I feel like the passion would be so difficult to to like create out of the blue. Cause I can be passionate because the stuff's given, like it's, it's just given to video game reviewers as in not okay. given physically, but I mean, there's so many games coming that I can find what I'm passionate about. I've had people get mad. Cause they'll be like, Oh, you like the last three games. You must be sold off or paid off. And I'm like, no, I choose what games I review. And yeah, those yeah, three right. looked interesting to me in the hopes that they were good. Like, I won't review something that I, I mean, I would, but that I know is bad. It's like, I think everybody can figure out that's bad. Instead, it's where, you know, maybe offering choice to somebody to understand. And the idea of you being able to sort of say, hey, this is, this is what I want. And what I, and I got to say, I was looking online, I was reading some of your interviews, and then I saw two completely unconnected people saying something that made me laugh so hard. They said, do you ever wonder if George Lucas was watching the dailies and saw Darth Maul show up and went, oh shit, we, we picked to focus on the wrong bad guy. We should have picked this dude to focus on because Darth Maul does his double lightsaber. And I, the, I guess people who like the Phantom Menace, that was the biggest deal to them. But they mm -hmm. were like, dude, this guy pulls out his double lightsaber, looks awesome. And they chop him in half. Sorry, spoilers for a 20 year old movie. But right, right, right. I, I, I was like, dude, that because we were talking about villains so that everybody knows prior to the podcast, we were talking about Darth Vader yeah. being so cool. Things hitting that hit. And I, I that hit. And they even I believe they brought him back in books because he was so cool. They were like, let's bring this dude back. But they didn't in the movies. And I, I, I just thought that was a funny little segue into uh, like what it's like working on something and knowing you're going to hit versus not. Have you ever had a surprise for yourself where you didn't think something would hit and then it did and you're sort of like maybe not taken aback but maybe you weren't planning on putting energy or or continuing something and it hit and you were like, "Oh, I got to dive into this." Well, it's it's interesting. So not so much with specific um original characters because the the grand majority of the stuff I've been doing uh have been working on licensed properties, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's Batman, Titans, you know, what have you, X-Men stuff, you know, all that. But I will say, I'm always surprised at what relationships audiences and readers like, key into, right? You gotcha. might think that, oh, you know, the if you're reading Batman and the Outsiders, then you're primarily going to be interested in the friendship relationship between uh, Black Lightning and Batman. But then I then I started seeing there was a you know there there might have been a couple moments in the comic book where uh, Black Lightning um, was in a scene with this character Katana, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I just thought they would be cool to put in a scene together because she's like you know kind of like this you know samurai inspired mm -hmm. you know warrior and he's like this electricity guy like that seems like a neat thing right but people really responded to that and I think Did it they? was yeah I think it was a combination of the incredible art that we got from mm -hmm. Miguel, uh, Miguel Mendoza, who like had done really, 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 really great art. And there was like a charisma between them. And then I saw Twitter being like, Ooh, you know, this, this is really cool. Like, you know, maybe this is going to go somewhere. And I kind of fed into that energy and said, Hey, if you guys, you know, are, are, are vibing off of this, then let me put some imagination into this and see what I can do. And so then that relationship became, I kind of rewrote my narrative a little bit, not the major arc plot, because you know I had a plan for the whole right. thing, but in terms of like how I was going to weight some of the relationships in it, yeah, like, well, let me weight this one a little more because people seem to be getting some some you know gratification out of this, right? Um, and you know I'm always careful about that because you know I don't want to be uh, a tofu artist 
that just takes on the flavor of whatever kind of fan you know stuff that they're getting but at the yeah. same time when you're sitting in front of multiple possibilities that all interest you and you see that there is reader interest or fan interest or viewer interest in one of those possibilities that maybe you weren't thinking would be the one i'll certainly explore it and say well listen if you're into that let me see if there's something I can say with that. So that has has happened before. And 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 specifically in the case of Maul, I think that's why he's in the Clone Wars so heavy. Yeah, because I think so too. And somebody said he returned in solo, which I haven't I, I can't remember anything he's about a, solo. He's a cameo at the end. Gotcha. You know, I, and so and yeah, and and um that that will happen, you know, you create something. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me just thinking about that, like how they couldn't really see. You know, I mean, maybe you're in the fog of making a whole new Star Wars movie. Right. You're not really thinking about it. But you have a Sith that looks like the devil fighting a Jedi that looks like Jesus in the desert. Yeah. Like, that's going to leave biblical. an impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, that's going to leave an impression, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I certainly believe in fluidity when it comes to uh, creativity. Um, and you don't want to be led by the people that you're trying to entertain because then you may not give them, you know, the best experience you can. But there's no harm in listening too. like listening is, you know, listen a little bit. That's Dude, a good I point. love the term, the term tofu to artist. Yeah, taking on I've the flavor. I've never heard that. Dude, it, 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 I mean, it fits in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Uh, the Rogue sh uh, Chef did a $5 super chat. What game did the supplemental lore entries stick out the most for you guys? And if that doesn't work, we'll also uh, maybe we can just also add, um, you know, just the world or the the actions in the world. So what's for video games? Is there anywhere the lore or something on the side has stuck out to you? Uh, for me, Mass Effect, dude, because yeah. especially some of the entries were red, right? Uh, oh, right. Voiced, the, I should yes, say. Remember? They, had the, they had the narrator for those. Yes. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So good. And I'm actually just coincidence. I'm currently playing the legendary edition of the first one, like the remastered version. And uh, going back and listening to those log entries, is just so immersive to find out, you know, there, there's all this stuff that you don't need for the plot or for the story, but it's there, right? It's almost like the opposite of some games, whereas in some games you prod and there isn't anything there, like Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. That's my feeling, at least personally. Um, uh, this is the opposite. There's so much depth and you only get kind of the, the tip of the iceberg with the main story. What about you, Brian? Is there any like side stuff that's grabbed that you've gravitated towards? Well, I mean, obviously for sure, Mass Effect. I mean, I think that's one of the best narrative achievements we've had in gaming kind of ever. Yeah. I'll say that like, I really deeply invested into every kind of entry and lore piece in Cyberpunk 2077. Um, and it was, I think it was because all of those little lore pieces were these really interesting stories about morality and, and loss. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I just wish that like that had wound up more into the playable stuff, right? Because you would read these entries, you know, and, and they're not, they're not presented in the most like visually charismatic way. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like you pick something up and then you just have a wall of text you have to read or like chat messages. But you know, this, this, anytime I, I any, any game um, where, you know, you walk up to the dead body and there's a little glowing thing and then you pick it up and then you read like, oh, 
Right. You died because you had to do a thing for someone you loved and you did this body modification and it didn't work out and you're worried about this. And so there was so much tragedy in that narrative world. Um, and, I, and, that's, and that's really where I saw the kinship between Cyberpunk 2077 and The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Was this the, the kind of the level of uh, not nihilism, but just the struggle for happiness in both games? You know, and there's this, there's a somber quality to how uh, CDPR like kind of does game world. Yeah, right. You know, like it, you just it, like and and you, and it kind of makes like every little bit of humanity matter more. Um, and I think that's a really unique quality of that studio, the way they approach it and and the kind of IPs they work with. But yeah, that was probably you know the the last thing, and also like Deus Ex. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, dude. human, human, uh, was a human revolution, human revolution, a mankind divided, and then mankind the, divided, the original yeah, like, shadow. I'm, I'm really a futurist, so like, I'm deeply invested into thoughts about transhumanism, right. and how society is developing, and so games that are like that, and the, that can let me sort of explore the human cost of things. I'm always uh, really, really into. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because. Uh, like Deus Ex, I'm recent. You know, I played Cyberpunk. I'm playing Deus Ex again. I do like Cyberpunk more. I'm sorry, I like uh, Deus Ex more than Cyberpunk. Um, I like Cyberpunk's world better. You know, like uh, I like sure, Cyberpunk I RPG. I mean, that that only makes sense. But when you look at those, dude, I remember playing Witcher Three, and I think I said, I know I said it in the review. I certainly didn't in, uh, in the walk in the walk. But Witcher Three, I like the main characters, but they weren't the they weren't like the meat for me. The meat right. was the side. It was the ribs. It was all the side. There was some little, there was something a character did. And there was sometimes like this awesome feeling of a real world. For example, Witcher 3 does this. And I talk about it a lot of times in the videos is, do they make a place that's urban in a rural area, in a forested area? Do, do they sort of graduate towards it instead of just like, here's a wall of a, of a right. city? Do they have, do you start to see different ruts in the road? Do you start to see like, and you mm-hmm. did in Witcher 3, you saw all that. And there was a visual storytelling that was then tied to the side stories that was then tied to the lore that had nothing to do with the main character, nothing. Right. But yeah. you were like, this is re and, and that feeling I always joke about like before, after and after before is the world going to continue prior or did the world do stuff prior to me getting there? And then mm-hmm. is it going to continue when I leave? And you'd see the occasion, you'll see this in Spider-Man does this where they have the wrecks, the car wrecks, or you'll come up mm-hmm. on something where something's happening and you're like, it's not just driven by Geralt. It's driven, like, it makes it feel like a world. And that's why Witcher 3 did work for me. Where mm-hmm. Cyberpunk, I liked it, but there were a lot of technical issues. I'll just get it out there that, that whenever a technical sure. issue stops you, it's like missing a page in a comic book. You're like... Oh, it can be incredibly frustrating, right? It's yeah. Like a, it's like getting, you know, you could get a DVD to your favorite movie. Oh, but dude, and skips. Scratches on it. Like, you're just not, <laughs> yeah. you're not enjoying the viewing experience. Dude, like, I, 480p would be better than a skipping DVD at, at 4K. I mean, I was I was lucky um, because in addition to having a uh, 2080 Ti and a pretty beefy system, you know, in terms of like the the bug potluck, I didn't really crap out. You got pretty lucky on my PC. That's and I and I didn't even attempt to play it on console. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. you know, I just but yeah, like you know, and that's one of the reasons why I love your YouTube work because you explore you know that stuff, especially those walking the walk videos. Yeah, they're a blast. Love those. You know, like, because, uh, and they have led me back to games that I kind of wrote off after like two hours. Um, for Watch Dogs Legion. Yeah. I, right. I played about two hours of it 
and, you know, just didn't really understand what the game was trying to do, right? Because we have not been trained to rotate out protagonists. Yeah, that's for sure true. That's <laughs> yeah. huge. It's such a big what, deal, right? How I'm do like, you what am I doing? Yeah, right, right. You know, like it's and, and so and so like I just couldn't like find my way into it. Yeah. Because you start off playing kind of like James Bond. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, so it's okay, this is cool, I guess. And then and then you're like flipping, and I just couldn't get it. And that's so then I I, I was in uh Toronto for for Titans on production. And so I bought a uh, uh the Xbox uh, series S, mm-hmm. uh, just to have in the hotel room, just, you know, just copped it from like a local, um, store up there and like, oh, what am I going to play? And then I was watching her videos and the walking the walk video where you were just kind of talking about all of the, you know, the, like the, I, I remember one of the moments in your video where you just, uh, you highlighted the moment of the saxophone player or the musicians. And then when yeah. they're playing in the high end sections of the city, yeah, they get less reception. Yeah, yeah. And then when they're playing in the in the low income sections of the city, more people are enjoying it. And I was like, oh. So then I fired up the game, got through you know the tutorial section of it, which I think comes at you a little too. It does hard. come at you. Yeah, it's a it's, <laughs> you know? it, it focuses and sort of it does drive you to think it's going somewhere that it doesn't go to, which yeah, is a, and, a little odd. And there's a ton of mechanics they're throwing at you. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and whenever, whenever I'm playing a character that's supposed to be highly skilled and I'm not highly skilled, I'm just in a state of ugly dissonance. Yeah, very much. The first few hours of the game, right? Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why I think Fallen Order is so great is because he's relearning, you're learning, and you and Cal get better at the same time. Yeah. Right. And and I think you, well, the character, but anyway, so, but once I, once I got out of that tutorial section and then got into the open world, I was like, well, you know, Brian, you don't have to just go to the next icon on the map. Right. Like maybe I'll just like kind of walk around. And, and then when I walked around and I felt the oppression of the city. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's when I keyed into the game experience because I got annoyed at the checkpoints. Yeah. You know, right. I saw people getting hassled. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, now I want to take this apart. And and then I, I realized that I am kind of the main character in the sense that I'm gathering other people, right? Yeah. I'm like the Hannibal of this A-team, to use yeah. an 80s reference. And then I could key into it. So uh, anyway, long, long way to say that the way you approach uh, game criticism, uh, I think is fantastic. And it's led me to a bunch of things that I just wouldn't have touched either because aesthetically they didn't interest me or I just had like a not compelling experience for like the first 35 minutes or so. Yeah, we call it bouncing off because that's, that's what I, especially yeah. when there's that difference, even Dark Souls, you'll bounce off occasionally. You'll be like, hey, you're a warrior. Maybe not Dark Souls, but there's other games where you're like, you're a master and you do it and you feel like such an idiot. And you're like, why is the master so terrible today? And what's going on? And what was great about Legion is Listen, man, I didn't love that game, but the reason why I did a walk in the walk and I'm doing a walk in the walk right now on Valhalla, which I also wasn't absolutely in love with, but Ubisoft goes out of the way to um, look at worlds and try to figure out ways to like put in different things and whether it be the creation of, the, of uh, repairs of the pyramids in, in Origins or stuff in Odyssey and in Legion. There was no better time and no time that I got more fun from that game when I had a dumpy 
I, I don't know how to describe it. Unskilled secretary as my main character. And it was the greatest time I ever had. She's wearing high totally. heels. She had like a bad skill. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, dude, I'm taking over every base with her. Every single right. one. I had a grandmother <laughs> right, right, right. who yep, could mesmerize yep. people. She had like the, t she was the magician. She's <laughs> yeah. like 80 and she's got like a bad hip and bad skills. And I'm like, this <laughs> is exact. You are basically controlling drones in a weird way. You are, like you said, it's like, yeah. it's not really them. But then when I went up to a spot and my wife was being arrested at a checkpoint, my character's wife. Yeah. And I, I looked her up and I was like, that's my last name. Now, of course, they've stated they did that. Like the Nemesis system did that right. in Shadow of Mordor. They did that. I can buy into it. There's not if I know if I'm like, oh, I know how this is working out. That still works for me in a game. And when she was arrested, I was like, that's it. I'm taking all you out. Like I was totally. like, there's because to me, I was suddenly like, I am a podunk. I may not get to play this character again. Maybe they'll die. Maybe I don't like them, but I'm going to save her wife before I move on to another character. And I, I, I have a lot of stories about Legion for a game that I didn't love the mm -hmm. idea that they chose and how they tried to do it. Um, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't necessarily explode, but I like their ideas and I think they did a really good job. And I want to get to some super chats because they've been yeah, asking us sure. questions here about Brian. First one, Polly D $10 super chat, big fan of Brian's work. Is he much of a gamer? He is. He says, I know he did love cyberpunk, Miami Vice and Heat Aesthetic style, I'm, I'm assuming. So does he like GTA V? Sure. I mean, yes. Um, I, I. So you don't I gravitate will... towards style, even though you are a futurist. Yeah, like I'm. Which yeah, I, agree, don't, I'm, I guess I'm not. I'm not. You know that like fetishistic about right uh, things. I will say that I did need to take a break from Trevor during my first. Play <laughs> Who ah. didn't, bro? I was just like, <sighs> like it was the torture thing. Um, right yeah like i'm like you're making me torture a person that doesn't deserve it yeah and i was kind of mad at like the benzies for like a little bit i'm like i don't want to do this right and so um and i was i guess i was so narratively invested into it that it kind of bummed me out so i took a little break and then came back and finished it like months later um yeah sure you know like uh gta, GTA is great i mean you know it's groundbreaking and and all the things now i'll fire it up just to kind of drive around los santos yeah and do your thing and do my thing you know I, I do I, I do like that a lot of us, and they did it on purpose, but they did make him lovable and detestable at the same time. Totally. And we are in such a polarized world that a lot of people joke. A lot of people be in reviews. They're like, Sith, I don't agree with you, so therefore you're paid off. I do agree with you, therefore you're my best friend. And I'm like, listen, both of you guys, don't ever be a fan because... We're gonna ignore, we're gonna argue at some point because I am more right. gray on some things. Some things I'm like, hey, I like the game, but it's not for me. But sure. you may like it. And when you look at how polarized we are, Trevor comes out, dude. And this is mm -hmm. this is why those guys are they are good. I didn't even like four because the fun sort of went away, and Nico was sort of dire. And then I get five, and I'm playing, <laughs> and then you get Trevor, and I think. If I remember right, I don't know if we all had this experience. It could have been different, but you see him in a cutscene, And then one time I wake him up, you know, where you switch characters mm -hmm. and he's something's happened in a house and like people are dead and he's puking into the bath. He's either puking or pissing into the uh, like bathroom toilet or something like that. And he's just it's dirty and it's mm -hmm. nasty. And you're like, this guy is he's deplorable, but right. but he has a weird it's not even just fun. He has a weird sense 
not For honor sure. in any way. Some type I don't of know charisma, doesn't he? Well, it's not he's only charisma. Like a... He's got a set of rules that I can sort of get. He's gone too far to chaos, right? Law and right. chaos. He's gone too. But I get it, and I, I did have to bounce off of him. I admit there were times where I'm like. He's pretty, he's pretty harsh, man. Like I'll play somebody else for a little while, but, uh, I guess that's the strength of the, they, they, they yeah, are able not, to do it. Some companies can't. I know of, of the yeah. character, you know what I mean? And, and what's it, Stephen Ogg, like his performance yeah. is, uh, is amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but, but I, I, I generally do like open world games. Um, mm -hmm. I play those a lot, you know, so yeah, like rockstar stuff. I love, you know, red, red dead, obviously, but I, I also really had a good time with, um, I think it was because of one of your reviews, man. The uh, Ubisoft, uh, the Greek god one. What's that called? Odyssey? Phoenix, Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising. Oh, yeah. So that, oh, that's a that great example good. of something that aesthetically I was like. Not for you. <laughs> what is this, like Ratchet and Lightning Bolt? Like I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> right. Um, but then I saw your review and I was like, well, that looks kind of fun. And then I started playing and I'm like, I'm really into this. So yeah, you know, um, but generally I, I racing games, open world games tend to be my bag. Uh, I do like narrative experiences. Sorry, Electronic Arts. Yeah, um, but I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, that was. It's been a weird. It's been a weird week. It's been a weird week. Super chat, five dollars from Mikey. Thanks, Mikey. Just want to say thanks for making my daily commute entertaining. Also wanted to ask, what's the most tedious game you guys have ever played? Well, I haven't played a long. I don't know if I played a game long enough to become tedious that wasn't for review because you know when you're not reviewing. You know, there's you no contract it, for cover. Yeah, yeah, but I will say, um, dude, seven days to die when I did that, you know, that on console, that thing was atrocious, man. That thing was atrocious. That was just genuinely a slap in the face. And I don't say that very often. But tedious, man. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. Uh, I haven't beat it, so I'm not going to give a review for it. But the little I played was Death Stranding. It was Fair. fucking tedious, yeah. and uh, and Red Dead 2's prologue was tedious. The starting of Red Dead 2 yeah. really caused me to rethink what the game was going to be. Luckily, it, it got out of those shackles, but one of the first mods ever made was skip the prologue for our game. So I, I wasn't the <laughs> only one. Um, but yeah, I would say, I, I'm not saying Death Stranding is, by the way. I'm just saying what I played of it, I, I just, I bounced. Like Brian said, you, sometimes you bounce off of a game. So what about you guys? I mean, there are many games that I bounced off early because I was bored, right? Uh -huh. But I'm trying to think of one that I stuck with because I think that's the question. Yeah, probably one you stuck. How about this? It's really slow starting, like Fallout 3. I didn't like slow it starting. starting. Yeah, I thought um, that starting was slow, but I really liked the game. Well, I, um, I, I'm struggling right now with the first three hours of Vampire. Like, oh, I, that's a good I, point. I watched a bunch of reviews, yours included, yeah. and I'm like, this seems like because I'm a huge Penny Dreadful fan, and yeah. I'm like this oh, seems like yeah. my thing. Yeah, but like, I, I'm finding the first like few hours of this game very difficult because yep. just when it settles into, okay, so we're in like a third combat, third third person combat exploration kind of thing, you know, skill trees and the rest of it, and then suddenly it becomes like a like a you know narrative game like a novel yeah game right and yeah. like okay you guys gotta tell me like what i'm they what gotta I'm gonna, figure out shit or get I fire off the this bot. up like what am i doing yeah because the last time i had a play play session i was fighting some stuff and learning my vampire powers and cool 
and this time now I'm reading through pages of text yeah. and and it, and it you have and you have to go through all these conversations because of the nature of like the detective stuff and then what you're doing and I totally understand the setup but just the way it's organized it's I don't know when I'm in the mood to play it because I have no idea what the next 15 yeah. minutes is going to be like that's a damn that's a <laughs> damn know? good critique and what's funny yeah. is that's a damn Man, maybe it's because when I beat something, I've played it all. And so this happened with Valhalla. I had a lot of people get mad at me because they were happy with the first eight hours. And I was like, mm. but I had to, you know, don't come at me after only eight hours. Come at me if you finished it and then be like, is yeah. it worth it? Now, admittedly, somebody somebody may say the first eight hours were worth 60 for them. Completely valid. That, that's a valid point for them. But, uh, dude, Vampire, I get it. It's and, and it's also how you play. I I don't, well, I can't ruin it for you. I had a, a particular quest that made me salivate for more quests. So I sought mm. out more pacifist ways because the decision I made was so not what I expected that I was like, oh my God, now I got to be careful. But if that doesn't happen to you, dude, I get you. That's a really good critique for Vampire. And I, I actually agree with you that you could come away from that, uh, you know, fully thinking that. I hadn't thought of it. What about you, Johnny? Do you I'm going to oh, stick with it, but yes. But yeah, right. Yeah. I'm definitely going to stick with it, but that <laughs> yeah. was my answer. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's a good one. Johnny, any? Yeah, I got one. Go for it. Do you it. guys remember that? I think it's called 12 Minutes. The game. Yeah. yeah with was a lot like, of movie stars. I think kinda, Ridley yeah. was a lot of movie in it. Stars. Wasn't Daisy Ridley in it? Yeah, yeah, and um, William Defoe. the guy from X-Men, Willem Dafoe, yeah. So, um, great cast. It's one of those games where you basically relive the same day yeah. over and over, right? Yeah. And it's just one of those things, if you happen to be unlucky or make this, the wrong decision, right? it just causes you to repeat stuff enough times that you see the seams the construction of the game, right? Mm. You see how it's made. Does that make sense? Like I do. Yeah. The magic breaks down at some point, right? Because you're seeing like the the repeated stuff, and you see, oh, okay, so this right. is how it's connected. You almost see this graph in your head, like, okay, this is the decision tree. Yep. Uh, yep. And so that's what happened for me. I kind of repeated stuff so much that I ended up just the magic broke down that's, uh, and it that's uh, ended up being boring because i had to yeah i had to like sit through the dialogue a lot um uh, we got another one vault Ch vault champlin vault champlin yeah uh five dollar super chat just supporting you all have a great day thank you very much if you guys are listening to us on spotify and itunes i would love if you uh rated the podcast uh, that would be great as well so reading here some people just talking about this is an interesting i agree with this person but I think again, I'm most people don't. And he said, "Dishonored is the most tedious game I've played." And now I won't say that the entire game was, but to me, I agree that Dishonored until you, until you buy off on what they're selling, like because they're selling you something with that game, which is different, I think, than some of their other games. But I would agree, Dishonored can be can be rough. This person well, says, just, "See a thieves just, is tedious." True. Just dropping anchor on, on Dishonored because I I do love the world of Dishonored, but. When we talk about, you know, I don't know what generation we're, what are you on, seventh gen, eighth gen, whatever these you, Yeah, are. whatever. Yeah, I don't know. What what I'm really looking for isn't necessarily like 8K graphic fidelity or all of that. Right. Like I think graphics are pretty good. What I'm looking for are games that can get us out of some of the developmental frameworks we've been in. So like taking Dishonored, for example, I prefer when stealth is a viable option 
but I am not forced into it. Right. Right. Because it doesn't feel like stealth if I'm forced into it. Yeah, exactly. It feels like you just nerfed direct combat. Yeah. And then so I feel like I'm always playing with an arm behind my back. But if you have a game world where there is a decent combat system, but you get you you can see the benefits of being stealthy, then I'm more rewarded personally by the stealth. Yeah. Because I'm deliberately slowing down the pace of my encounters, you know, doing my encounters differently because of a specific reason I'm trying to, you know, trying to achieve rather than we're just going to nerf your instincts here and then kind of kind of herd you into that. I do find that a little tedious. Now the Dishonored series, like I enjoy those games because I think the worlds are really interesting. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and just visually. Gunwall or gun, whatever the, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. It's just, so we talk about ambient storytelling. It's all for over sure. Place, right. For sure. Um, and it's, and it's super cool, but those are the things that I would love to see in games, you know, instead of like, I would love to see us graduate out of, well, this is a third person combat game and this is a stealth game. Like, hopefully we can get to a place where this is a world of threats. And then you have equal measure in how you want to approach these threats. And then you can have more unique experiences, which will lead to more replay value, so on and so forth. So so I'm just taking Dishonored as an example of, you know, what I think about when I think about how we're evolving in gaming is I understand graphical fidelity and that's really important and game length and you can make a game like 90 hours long now on a single disc and all that, that's all great. But um, I, I wanna get into the marrow of yeah. our assumptions about what a game is constructed. Like I'd rather have a smaller open world game that had Far Cry first person, you know, shooting physics with Forza driving physics. Right. Like that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, I know what you're waiting <laughs> for because so when I grew up, no game engine could let you get out of the car. It was unheard of. Yeah. Right, it was right. it was a different game. There was it was unheard of. They were like that's impossible and it will never be or at least we can't see it being Literally, possible. Literally we would have different games. They would have you different would have games. One game yeah, where yeah. you play so a vehicle, true. and yep. then one game where you'd be outside of the vehicle. Cuz no one could it just wasn't a thing. And then once they started figuring that out, while I agree that GTA is fun, it it doesn't have the best driving physics. Obviously, they're in fact they're they're gamified to a pretty high point. You get you get these games that attempt it. I would agree with you that at some point, um, it it'll be nice when we get the merging of two or three of these genres into one. And it's funny yeah. you mention that because I want to talk about something that just happened yesterday that ties directly into my thoughts on this, which is Assassin's Creed Skull and Bones. So yesterday they showed gameplay. There is no getting out of your boat other than to go buy stuff. There's no hand-to-hand -hand battle. There's no boarding that's actually physical. It's all cutscenes. And I firmly believe that it's almost like they said... So we're. I don't know if you know this, Brian. I don't know if you've been tracking it, but AC... Well, you may have also because of what you're doing, but there's rumors of this AC Infinite that's, yeah, that's out there, I've, right? I've heard the smoke and, and mirrors, like, you know, yeah. like, you know, between your yeah. coverage and Yong, yeah, and a yeah, couple other right. people that I follow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I stay, like, aware of stuff, but I don't know a lot about Yeah, so the, the idea it, is though. that in some future, you know, that these games in some way would be connected, and I was looking at Skull and Bones last night going, you know what, that could be the first step in separating and making the boats Instead of being like, and I like Black Flag, but instead of being a, an action in the game, when you do jump, what Assassin's Creed Infinite may do is allow for you to connect to a full other game. 
-hmm. So you're doing your Assassin's Creed stuff, and instead of jumping in your boat and doing Assassin's Creed stuff in a boat, they're going to throw it way over here, and you sort of are teleported into a completely different game, which is the full experience. I'm not saying Skull and Bones is. I'm saying their idea may be something along those lines, because we hear this from all open-world people. They say it all the time. Well, if you're running around, then you have to get the horses right. Horses right is a huge deal. People don't. Sure. Yeah. People have no clue. Then you see developers saying, no, horses, we can get horses. Doors are hard. And you're like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Doors? And then you read all hours of this diatribe on doors <laughs> and why Bethesda has to use load scenes for some cities in some games because it's so difficult to get everything to work. And I'm wondering if, like, if that's the first step, because I saw Skull and Bones yesterday. I admittedly was not impressed, but... There was this weird thought. It's not Assassin's Creed because there's no Assassin's Creed parts other than the boats. But mm-hmm. they're trying to sell you a full price game. It's going to be $60. And I'm like, there's I not know. a lot there for that. But is this their plan? And then driving the crew. So you've got the crew on the other side. The crew, open world, completely United States. It's massive. It's got all this stuff. I don't know who's playing the crew too. But I swear to God, it can't be more than two people. Because that game, it was bad. It, well, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't grabby enough. But is their idea then to take and put like Assassin's Creed in the future or Legion or or Watch Dogs and have it branch off into this other thing? Because they're also talking, Ubisoft's been talking about Scalar. And Scalar is their new technology for the cloud and cloud mm-hmm. computing. And I'm sitting here going like, are we going back to the time to where they don't attempt to have one engine do everything. And instead, because of the faster loading speeds, do they instead have two, basically two segments and you jump into a full other game and that way the company doesn't have to worry about all that other bug checking that has to do with boats and stuff. And when you read the scalar technology, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I'm covering Valhalla and some people in some interviews, they mentioned scalar. And I was looking at this going, the way they're talking about it isn't cloud streaming. They're talking about what if you could update a part of a game with not impacting any other part? And I was like, well, that's what Skull and Bones is. Mm-hmm. Skull and Bones is its separate thing. What if they build like a tunnel fast loading because we have NVMEs in these things? What if the new way of doing it is the old way you and I and Johnny grew up with, which is that is completely different engines, but they just yeah. they pretend it's not. And to be honest... Maybe that's the way it should be. In the, I'm not saying Ubisoft's doing it right. I'm saying they're fighting a lot of memory constraints and all this stuff where all these worlds and then there's, you know, the buy a huge bug will be somewhere. What if they yeah. segment it out? But anyway, that was let's, just my thought. Let's, let's play it out in an example. Let's say that you're walking, okay? So you're in like an Unreal 5 type engine right. where you're walking around, you have your city or world and you get into a car. And then, yeah, see, you know, maybe because it has to be seamless, right? It does. Yeah. So boats would be possible because you could do a docking, you know. Yeah. But, something. but maybe, I mean, l- let's just say there's a tiny, small loading where it, it plays an animation of you getting into the car. Like yeah. A and during that time, they pre During something. that, okay. it's loading right in the background. And all of a sudden it loads an image of that city but it's now playing in the engine of the right. racing, right? Yeah, right. Um, I mean, this is hugely cost inefficient in the sense that you have to recreate the world in these different in engines. These different engines. Well, well, but but it 
as long as the data sharing, right? So you want data sure sharing. There's data yeah. sharing between your different. And if you know, they're different if engines. they play nice, right, Brian? Right. Like the and, yeah. and I think you what you would also want is you would want, um, you know, collection benefits from one engine to be yeah to be utilized engine. in the other engine, right? So so, right. so you wouldn't because you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to feel like you just popped a different disc. In, yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. That would exactly. Great experience. Yeah, so yeah. You want to do that, um, but I think it it, it it's a lot of upfront cost to set up this apparatus. However, although I am pretty dubious of live services in general, just, just with the way they've been handled, yeah, what would compel me to take part in a live service would be experiences like this, right? Like, because I'm always looking for deeper levels of interactivity. Exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. like that's, for me, that feels like the future of gaming, right? So if I'm playing like, you know, you know, uh, 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 Jedi Fallen Order or something. And then there's a TIE fighter that's beautiful in the background, yes. but I know it's not interactive. Right. A real Jedi would could do a backflip on top of it, get yeah, into it, and then in. take it and use it. No right? shit. Yeah. He, but he, he I can't. Right. You know, it's beautiful, but ultimately, I'm basically playing an arena battle. Yeah. You know, with the with the stuff, right? So I'm always impressed by games. Like, you know, obviously Breath of the Wild is like the goat of this where you can combine things by instinct and they work the way you suspect they might. Right. You know, ooh, hot air rises. I can build a campfire. I can use this to do that. And even though, you know, graphically, Breath of the Wild compared to, I don't know, whatever the next open world game is, it might, it might look like potato graphics in comparison, right? Yeah. But the, the interactivity is, is so deep. Um, and that's really the breakthrough I'm looking for is you know, taking the, 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 like, like the, you know, the battlefront dream we all have of fighting on the ground and then flying out of the atmosphere into yeah. the galaxy and doing that and then coming back down. Like, I, I, I hope that we're, we're getting people that are working towards those things and, and not just, Ooh, well, unreal, you know, five, the, the mountain looks like a real mountain. Yeah. Yes, it does. Which, which, which it does. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yes, it but does. I can't and interact with it. Not only so. that, but I have a big beef with, uh, with more realistic graphics because at some point, dude. I mean, if I like the, I like this the cinema feel of a game where they do things that just aren't possible in real life and don't look right. I, I, I do like cell shaded, for instance. I do right. like heavily saturated. I do like some color filters. I think mostly I don't like them. I call them you know, like Deus Ex, unfortunately, had a had a I call it a P filter, but that's what it looked like. It looked like you were looking through a fine a fine glass urine bottle or something like that. <laughs> Everything was yellow. Um Fallout, green, right? They do those. But I'm a little nervous we get too real. And, and like you said, I don't know if that's what, I mean, we do want to work towards that, but at the same time, man, I hope creators don't chase that mountain at, like as their new graphical standard versus all the interactivity well, and you, all you the other stuff. It, right. If, if you look at something like Gotham Knights, yeah. where it's like, okay, there's been a lot of time and attention paid to textures. Yeah. But not movement. Right, right. That's and been not brought interactivity. Up. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I still feel like I'm in Gotham City, the theme park, and not right. Gotham City. <laughs> the facade. You know, it's like the right? little cardboard versus. Re and you're like, do I push that? Because will that fall down? Yeah. yeah. Like, I want, you know, I want the I want the Batman Gotham experience in a city that lives and breathes like a rock star city. That's yeah. the dream. Yeah. Right. That is the dream. 
you know, and and it's not because I think the texture work on modern games is fine. Like I don't, I have not played a right. AAA game where I was like, hmm, yeah, <laughs> these yeah. graphics they just keeping me out. Like sometimes things look bad up close and what have you. Sure, but um, yeah, it's the interactivity stuff. You know, it's, people talk about oh, it's so difficult to make a Superman game because he's so powerful. Yes, if all you're thinking about is giving him big things to fight, but. Right. One of the things that Superman does is he saves people. So you can have a character that is only as powerful as the Rhino to mix my Marvel and my DC. Yeah. <laughs> but if Superman, but if you have the ability to rescue people that are in danger because of the exploding car, because right. of this other thing, because of that, and, and that helps build up your power-ups or something, and then you can take bad guys out, that's a Superman experience, yeah. you know? Like, I want to be able to, like, building's on fire. I want to fly into it, put it out, grab somebody, take them out, land with them lightly, press a button, they get to safety, and then I turn around and I fight the bad guy, right? Like, like it's it's that kind of stuff. I, mean, I remember when I was playing the first Watch Dogs, and um, I didn't love the game for, for, for a, a number of reasons, but there's some things about it that I thought were really interesting. And, you know, one of them is the way he would tell people to stay inside their cars, Right. Or that little moment in cyberpunk when you're going down the hallway in the in like the, the opening of the game and someone peeks out the door and you're like, get back in. Get back right. In. A little bit of empathy. A little bit. Right. Of like, for that's others. the yeah. stuff that like makes me lean forward because that makes me feel like there's a living person in that room and I got to keep them safe from the stuff that I'm going to do. And it makes the action feel more impactful because the action has consequence like it would in the real world. So like when you're looking at a game world that basically just exists for you to beat things up in, the beating things up part of it oftentimes isn't that satisfying Yeah. because there's nothing to contrast it to because no one's just trying to go to work. I'm uh, recording a video <laughs> right now called um, Lie a Little to Tell a Lot. And that's actually what this is about is lying a little bit to the player right at the starting. Mm -hmm. And use, a lot of companies will do this. They'll lie a little bit Oh, here's some empathy. It, it matters. It doesn't, but it looks like it matters. And a gamer has no issue with that. So like a lot of times in movies, I think we have issues with that. But in games, mm -hmm. because of the interactivity, you can lie to yourself and say, maybe I just didn't interact with that part of the game. Maybe because right. there was or you play empathy on your own, which I think we've all done a character where the guys like kill him and you're all mm, ah, torture. For example, right. with Trevor, where you're like, I don't know. There's a game. Well, I'm doing Valhalla right now. There are some distasteful moments in Valhalla because they're Vikings. There was some right. shit that happened. You're like, oi, I have to do that? Really? Like they hand you the reins and they're like, you go for it. Where I think, um, not that it's easier in movies or anything like that, but I think that there's an expectation. And in gamers, we can be lied to a little bit and we're okay with that. But developers in some way haven't figured out how to how to lie to us correctly and what we end up getting is the same beat em up mini mission 1000 times and you're like yeah, dude yeah. you haven't shown me any reason for me to have empathy for this street person that's getting his ass kicked this guy's on the street he's getting his ass kicked and you look at him and you're like there's a cool glowing collectible that will give me an achievement and here's this dude just sitting here and i know he's gonna have another mini mission in 30 minutes just sitting there so it's like i'll just come back to him and there well, has to be something I think it's a matter of looking at the philosophical construction of other of like different video games and then saying, how can I use use this yeah, philosophical idea in this? Right. So, right. like for instance, if I was making a Superman game, stay on the analogy, 
well, the, the argument is, well, it's hard to make a game because he's like God and, and it's hard to make that interesting. Well, civilization is pretty interesting. And you're like God there. Yeah. Right. right like right. real-time strategy games are pretty interesting. And so Superman to me is a real-time strategy game where you play the fights. So imagine like you go to like, I'm just making this up, but like, so Lex Luthor has, you know, decided to, to prove that superheroes are more of a harm than good. Than good. Mm-hmm. And he's got his global whatever thing he's doing, right? And so you go to the Justice League satellite, the Watchtower satellite, whatever it is, and instead of just like, oh, it's going to be a metropolis, you have all, like, you have a globe. And around the globe, something is always going wrong. It's right. a supervillain here, natural disaster, natural disaster that he caused over here. There's, you know, someone important has been lost over here, whatever it is. And you have to choose well, which thing am I going to stop? And what, you're, what you choose affects the way the narrative goes, right? So you're constantly in Superman's mindset of, yeah, I can do these things, but I can't do all of these things at the same time. And, so maybe I got to yeah. let this bad guy get away because the dam broke over here and I got to go stop this, right? right? And so like taking, you know, the kind of like, oh, if you take this sort of real-time strategy stuff, put it in the third-person superhero action thing, then you may get something kind of neat and cool. You know, you might get an experience that feels more accurate to like the character experience. This is why That's XCOM a works. Great idea. Because what yeah, you yeah. just explained is XCOM. It's XCOM, XCOM. Yeah, would be yeah. like, you go over here or you go over here. Oh. And I don't know why they've hit it, but they haven't looked at Superman and said, well, empathy is one of his main weaknesses. Yes, magic is. But empathy is one of his main weaknesses. So let's make it. Yeah. Like you said, he can't travel. We saw that in, Sp- in Superman 2, even though it's my favorite. He goes back in time. Right, isn't isn't two where he reverses <laughs> one, the world? One, one is when he reverses the world because oh. he has to save Lois. Yeah, okay. Okay. Two, two is where he kisses Lois and she forgets everything. That's what it is. Yeah, two's still one of my favorite now, movies. Nowadays of all time, we but... call that ghosting. Yeah, <laughs> we do. We do. We do, we a, do. A, a Tinder version. Anyway, so <laughs> but you look at all this kind of stuff and dude, empathy, XCOM, the RT like you said, I had not thought of that before, but you're absolutely right that you are basically playing. I mean, if you were playing Superman, you would be playing this sort of RTS or this sort of turn-based or whatever, where you're going out a strategy game at the very minimum yeah. and going out and saving people. But I interrupted Johnny. Go ahead, Johnny. I interrupted. No, I was just I was actually going to say something similar that, you know, his biggest weakness uh, outside of Kryptonite is the fact that he has to pick and choose where he is. He's not omnipresent. Which is why right? I love Superman and Lois, by the way. Exactly. And a show? lot of movies, love it. Carrick, right? They hinge on yeah. the fact that he has to choose to go to like save that person in the building yep. at the cost of something personal to him. Yeah. And we've seen that many times. I think that's a great concept for a game where you as a gamer, you have to choose, you know, am I letting go of the cat in the tree to, you know, to yeah. whatever. Dude, this is why I was, I liked, I know people love to hate this show. Fuck off if you do. I like Arrow. I loved Arrow for a while. One of the reasons, I, I still like it overall, but one of the reasons why I liked it, he's still the typical hero who's like, I, I, I gotta feel bad. I'm a pariah. And you're like, okay, I get it, dude. Put your eyeliner away. Like, you don't have to be that emo. But he, they right. did play it because he was- The emo helps you do the, the pull-up thing. It helps you do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, salmon yeah. bar, buddy. Salmon yeah. bar. Yeah. But here's the yeah. reason why Arrow worked for a while. He killed people. Yeah. It was a huge difference between Batman- he was killing people who were also killing his friends. And there was this massive weight that I saw with that character where I was like, oh my God, like this is a, and it was a step, Arrow pretty much did lead to a lot of other shows being a little bit more open with death 
which had not happened for a while. And certainly I wasn't expecting on CW. So I, I think it wasn't CW at the starting. I could be wrong. I can't remember that thing. Uh, some of these shows have moved around, but obviously CW. So to me, man, when you see something like that, uh, like the idea of somebody, this is why injustice speaks to me because mm -hmm. injustice, especially the video game, I read the comics later, but injustice spoke to me so heavily because I was playing the game and you're like, well, obviously he's going to save every, I mean, it's not going to go bad. It's like, there's no way it would go bad. I know Superman's bad, but he must be mind controlled or something. And then you see what happened and the people that died and you're like, oh my God, what's happening? And that sense of weight was so much higher because he had empathy and then it was gone. It was what gone. is a superhero with absolutely no empathy, but a fake sense of honor? a villain that is absolutely tragic and awesome. And I actually found myself loving the Injustice video game because of that. Well, one of the things that people don't talk about with Superman enough is that the Kryptonians weren't great people. They weren't. No, no. They weren't you know? at all. They yeah. were, right. they, they were yeah. like, a, you know, genetic kind of like Klingons, they were, except like really good scientists. Yeah, really good scientist <laughs> Klingons would be, yeah. Really good scientist yeah. Klingons, yeah. right? So, so, you know, like, so Kal-El is kind of an aberration when That's it comes true. to the Kryptonian mindset. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Same thing with the mascara. Yeah. Like, you might oh, hang out yeah. with Diana and love hanging out with Diana, but you might not like the mascara because the, the they roll actual, hard over there. Yeah, they roll hard. <laughs> That's the thing. You know? You're like Wonder Woman. Wonder sounds natural and, and right. oh, uh, nice. And then you find out what goes on and you're like, oh, damn, son, Those I'm not going there. Over in the yeah, yeah, exactly. You know Rolling I mean? hard. <laughs> But, but yeah, like, like, so like, that's the stuff, you know, I, in a lot of ways, I think we're still kind of trapped in the framing of like the Atari 2600, yeah. where the idea of making a game off a of licensed property is like, okay, which powers can the player have and implement? And that's always an important thing, but we're at the point now where we can really think about putting the character, putting the player, player into in the, the mindset character. of the character, right? You know, one of the, like, talking about like small worlds that I love being in, like the Yakuza worlds are great yeah, like that for me. Right. Because what I love, what I love about Yakuza is, you know, the the way the game is constructed, the side missions they feel emotionally right. Like sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I'm tired of fighting for my honor as Kiryu. I need to go to the club and sing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just need to go on this date. I need to go be like Majima and just run this club for like six hours and just, and it, and it feels so organic. And instead of saying, well, I'm, I'm done with this experience cycle. So let me put the controller down instead. You know what? I don't have to do the fight thing, but I can go play Gwent for a while. Yep. Right. And that's what I really missed in cyberpunk, you know, was, I didn't have any other thing to do except yeah. the core four or five things, you know, that I do combat wise. I'm like, if, if cyberpunk just had a touch more Yakuza in it, and I understand they rushed <laughs> it and they, they couldn't right. get it out, but just give me yeah. some, just get, let, let me just hang out in night city and play some pool. It's funny you, know? you mention yeah, this because anybody who's grown up on 1980s movies, 1990s movies, even early 2000s, the bad guys are always in a fucking bar singing karaoke anyway. So to <laughs> me, it that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. moment you said it, I was thinking back to like Big Trouble, Little uh, China, uh, Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee. Big, uh, big Showdown, Little Tokyo. Showdown, Little Tokyo. One of my favorite martial arts movies. I just oh, great soundtrack, dude. Too. Great sound. It's just awesome, old, old inspired martial arts movie. When I, when I wrote that Dolph Lundgren movie, that was like the first thing I talked you, to him about was Showdown. Little oh, did Tokyo. you? Yeah, see that's yeah, yeah. dude. That that's given me some some like uh, he had great things serious, to say about Brandon Lee. So shout out to Dolph Lundgren. Serious He's desire awesome, to be awesome, you. Awesome guy.
He is. He is. Um, he is. And everybody, that's one of the cool things you always hear that as well. Also, incredibly intelligent, far more than myself. Super smart. <laughs> um, but you see this, the bad guys, they're always partying. They're always, they've got the, you know, love hotel, which then you see in Yakuza yeah. as well. And those kind of things, those, those secondary things are, I mean, in, I'm in agreement. Cyberpunk in particular um, didn't hit it. And especially when you get an open world with a desert around it, you start looking at these other things going, I would like a little bit of interactivity. And one of the things that I came away with from Cyberpunk was I couldn't even sit on a stool. Right. And I was right, yeah. and and I don't want Skyrim interactivity because I've been killed by a loaf of bread in Skyrim multiple times because yeah, yeah. physics got screwed up. The, the, you go, the physics are wrong. Yeah, and you're yeah. you can hear it inside going and you're like, uh oh, if that goes out, that's gonna hit me. And just crazy bugs happening in that. Todd um, Howard is like an old testament god. He'll will he will giveth and taketh away. Yeah, he will. He will for sure. Uh speaking of giveth, giveth, Timothy gave us two dollar super chat. I think Hogwarts Legacy will have a good world. I absolutely hope the same, man. That's a it's a good yeah, point. For sure. I can't wait to see that. Special week, five dollar super chat. Games still have a progress bar rather than the animation. I want to see the animation for opening a door or grabbing stuff or putting items on a puzzle. So listen to this, buddy. That's a good point about animations. Just recently, they patched in um, Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West. They patched in an animation to not bend down and grab stuff. Now, I get it, man. Other people <laughs> like that. But that bothered the... F it sounds so <laughs> dumb, but it bothered me. I was like, but I am. I'm watching. Why, why would you remove the animation? Just make it faster, make something else. And I think maybe she does the thing that Valhalla can do where they, they I call it like bear cubbin or Tyrannosaurus mm -hmm. Rexon, where they're going through yeah. and they're yeah. just grabbing stuff. But I like that. I was wrong. Everybody else everybody else was absolutely a fan of it. Um, Lord Metroid, member for nine months. Great walking the walk for Dragon's Dogma. One of Capcom's best games. I like it so much. I own the Switch and Xbox version. Keep up the great content, guys. Uh, yeah, Dragon's Dogma, I, I dude. The reason why I reposted that walk in the walk is because there were some audio issues with the original. They sort of crept into the new one as well. But uh, yeah, Dragon's Dogma. If anybody hasn't uh, checked it out, you need to. Last, Very cool game. Yeah. Last uh, Super Chat. Special week, $5. Games. Oh, yeah. So he was talking about animations. He wants to see the animations for opening doors, not a, not a progress load bar. I agree. I agree. Like, I, I think that sometimes... It's just a couple lacking animations, which actually throw me off of a game, depending on the game. I don't need first person. I think I don't need as much because yeah, I'm not watching like a movie, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like first person, it doesn't as long as they go like er, and then there's a loading screen. I wouldn't like lose my shit. Right, but right. third person sleeping dogs, I think, did a pretty good job. I don't remember if sleeping dogs had a lot of loading screens, but I remember feeling like it was cinematically well done. Um, but that brings us to a question. Johnny did an amazing video. You guys need to watch it. Johnny plays live. He does streams, but he also does videos. And this video is comparing uh, movies, right? Mm. Movies. Or was it TV shows, Johnny? I want to make sure. So Okay, so it it's books. Uh, games versus movies and shows was the video. And how and emotion and how to tell a story and all of that. And if which one's more difficult to impart a story. And I wanted to ask Brian... I don't know if you've done any work on video games. I didn't see anything other than Callisto and like I'm saying writing like for the game a, itself. Writing for a game? Yeah. I am uh you, you don't have to say a little bit. Oh, okay. No, I can say I was, I'm, I'm working a little bit with uh 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 a fella about a VR uh, cyberpunk game. Oh. Uh, 
Ooh, um, yeah, I got really busy, so I had to step away for a little bit. Oh, but gotcha. It's it's Blair's game. It's uh, I've talked about it on Twitter. I'll post about it on Twitter. Okay, it's okay. Super awesome uh, game he's building, but um, I haven't done like a specific like kind of games writing thing yet. No, so, mainly because of time. It takes a lot of time on this. It's and that's actually what I pretty much told the Discord because people are like, "Oh man, he should do that," and I'm like, "I Brian, from what I understand." it likes a little bit of a bounce and that's a long time that you might be attached but it is because you can't just write the cool parts guys like you right. have to write <laughs> every time you every time you bump into somebody you gotta write that or dragon's dogma masterworks all you can't go wrong and you're like yeah. dude why didn't you write at least two sentences for her to say or him <laughs> so when you're when you're choosing when you're doing movies tvs obviously they require different not different but you're still using the same skill set but there's some differences there what do you see for video games because I see a lot of people complain and say that they 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 don't that that games have never hit the emotional high that a movie has or a TV show, and I'm like, well, Mass Effect did, but they're right in the fact that there is a lot of action. The action itself, many times, in fact, is not really furthering the story. Do do you do you think it would be really difficult for you to transfer? Like, if somebody said, hey, I want Brian to write uh, the next Mass Effect. Do you think that would be very, ignoring the time thing, do you mm -hmm. see that as a difficulty that's popped up for you even, where you're like, man, story's not moving the way it should. How would I fix well, this? How I, would you think, fix it? I I think that that you just have to have a different narrative approach to gaming, right? And so um, what I think is really effective in gaming, because here, here's the thing, when you're writing a movie or a television show, I am pacing the viewer through the experience. Mm -hmm. Right, so I'm orchestrating the amount of time they're going to spend in any emotional place. Mm -hmm. So if I want to do things subtly, I can balance my narrative to make sure the things those things count, leading up to the big things, what have you. If you try to do that in the game, what'll happen is you're going to have hours of gameplay in between your emotional beats, and then you might not be able to maintain that continuity of emotional experience. But what I think is really effective is if you have kind of simple archetypal emotional moments um, that will resonate and can get carried thematically through gameplay to get you to the next moment. Like I just, I was just replaying Jedi Fallen Order because um, mm -hmm. the Obi-Wan show got me back into it. I think that game is incredibly emotional. Agreed, right? agreed. And it's yeah. the first Star Wars narrative that um, has really explored the trauma of Order 66. Right, You know, and by point. the time Very you get to that cutscene with Cal and the rest of it, now here's the reason it works because so much of Cal's journey is about his failure to Jaro to Paul, right? Like it's living and breathing. I mean, everything is about failure in a way. Like, right. you know, you know, Ciri's failure, Cersei's failure, like it's all failure, right? And so I think with games, you have to be a little more focused thematically so that the things kind of live inside of the playing experience so that when you start doing narrative things, you know, you've, you've fertilized the ground. Now this is gonna be like a controversial statement. Um, somewhat controversial. I approach gaming narrative differently than Neil Druckmann seems to. The, the problem I have with the beautifully manicured experiences that Neil creates, I don't feel like I matter to them. Right. You know, it's like, it's almost, I, I'm starting to feel like you're giving me a controller because the HBO Max series hasn't happened yet. Okay. But you don't really <laughs> want to give me a controller. Right just kind of want to make me watch this and I'm fine watching it. But the, the, the narrative moments for me, break me away from the gameplay because I'm not 
you know, in a, in a game that is about the brutal consequence of violence on on the body and soul, and you're hammering that home with your cutscenes mm-hmm. to just release me into the wild with a controller in my hand so I can keep hurting people. Yeah, not particularly fun. I'm I'm going to go to YouTube. And I'm going to watch your movie. Right. right, right. So I think you know you have to kind of and and it's not shots fired at his his genius. Like, I think he's incredibly talented and makes like these wonderful things that like people you know really love to experience. Just for me, um, I just felt like well, this is you know it's almost like a game by like technicality, but I'm getting more out of this by just watching it than playing it. You know, um, because I don't feel like any choice I makes matters at all. Mm. Like. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, like, even in terms of mastery of skills, you know, like going back to Fallen Order, the more Jedi you are, the better you will be at that game. You try to hack and slash your way through that game, ain't gonna work. You're gonna have to learn how to parry. You're gonna have to learn timing. You're gonna have to learn how to keep calm. You're gonna have to learn patience, right? And so you're learning how to be a Jedi. So when you, when you first encounter the second sister, and then you encounter her again, you're like, oh no, it's not gonna be the same as what was before. I was terrified I was mashing. Right. Now I'm just gonna calmly wait for you to attack and then I'm going to parry you. You know? Um, and and so like I just think I I have had powerful narrative experiences from, from games equal to films and TV shows I have watched. I just, the final thing I'll say is I whenever people sort of bring this up as the disconnect, the impossibility between the two forms. They always bring up one of the best written shows ever. Yes. It's like, well, yes. what, what is as good as the best Walking Dead? Yeah. What is as good as Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones yeah. is really firing all cylinders? Like, you know, but why don't we compare this to whatever got canceled like three months ago that had like four episodes before it like vanished away from cable? I think a game might be doing better than that, right? So yeah. it's always kind of a difficult argument when someone's going to compare, you know, like one of the best films or, or, or series ever created to an, to like an average video game. It's like, well, you know, yeah. not really a fair comparison. And that, and that happens a lot, by the way. Uh, Blaze Wick says, sup guys, uh, Super Chat, $10. What theme from a video game movie or TV show you thought was perfect and complements the tone that they were going for? Mine is Uncharted and Twin Peaks theme. Oh my God, I see. Mixing the two together? Interesting. I get you. Okay. I get you. He means taking the like the musical theme and like what would overlap with a game or TV show? That's inter- man, I, that's how the fuck? Yeah, that that's weird because that was an oddly specific and well-fitting combo. That is a w- right? that, yeah, that's Twin a good Peaks. fitting co- yeah, yeah. It would be it would be interesting to especially with Uncharted does have some not scary parts, but they're always hinting at supernatural stuff, which turns out, you know, you never quite know exactly what's going on. Um, dude, that's, I keep thinking Imperial Death March and something like, <laughs> for example, the good, the good, what is it? The good wife where the, where she just slowly decays into a, an immoral, like just a nasty person by the end of the show. I could see her walking in at the starting to like something like that. But that's dude, that's a hard question. You might have stumped me. I may have to refund your super chat, uh, Blaze. That's well, a it, it's funny do you guys because have one? I'll, go for it if you got one. I immediately thought of something opposite, uh, but I want to mention it because I think it would be so great. Uh, the theme from Outer Worlds, right? That we've oh, talked that about main many menu times. music, the main menu so music. Good. What's his name again? The composer. That's Justin Bell. Justin. Now it's yeah. Sony. Yeah. Now it's Sony, yeah. 
he has this great theme, uh, very emblematic for the menu. And I think of using that for a show like The Expanse or any other kind of sci-fi based. And I think, th you know, that theme would work. I don't know if this counts, um, but often when I'm playing Spider-Man on the PS5, I will turn the music off and then ambiently I will play a lot of funk to give myself a nice 70 Spider-Man experience. <laughs> Dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been playing like, uh, well, Valhalla I'm playing right now and I uh, Scottish Moors by Jeff Baker. He does a lot of like Orient, you can say Japan volume one and Jeff's mm -hmm. done like 8 million CDs for these oh. locations and they're just instrumentals. And so I'll be like, play uh celtic or celtic moors is one of them and it's just awesome music i'll play it over the top of valhalla when i'm playing valhalla. I, I i i will say that recently um the, the, the cyberpunk comment when i was playing cyberpunk i started uh listening to the ghost in the shell soundtrack oh yeah it's a good that's because, a good mix because what i what i i don't think the music is bad in cyberpunk but a lot of it kind of goes immediately into grunge chords yeah that kind of thing yeah and what i love about ghost in the shell the, the anime is there's a melancholy to all of the violence like the world shouldn't be the way this is yeah and you never feel like the scenes are triumphant with matoko when she's like doing action it feels like unfortunately this is how they resolve conflict yeah this here. is how it ended up so when I put that music in the background, I got a much deeper kind of richer experience from it in a way. Um, and then I also played the Robocop music, the Basil Polidorus stuff. I stole, <laughs> I stole a police car in Cyberpunk yeah. and started going around to the NCPD stuff and was playing the Robocop music. And that was bliss because I was just in the car in the future city going to break up the crimes. I was very Did happy. you see that, he, that Peter Weller's coming back for the game? I did. That's and insane. I, I hope that they have the same kind of um, uh, you know musical parody that they had in the uh, Terminator game. You know, yeah. Um, because the Terminator game was beautifully atmospheric. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's one of the best games ever, but it sort of satisfies the Terminator itch in a way that none of the recent movies have. Right. Um, and I was happy to see that it looks like some of that uh, Paul Verhoeven satire. It does. It does. It's still there. It looks you like know? one of us who grew up with it wants right? it to return. Right. It's very it, robo. It looks yeah. very Robocop. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited about this. Let's see what it does. But I want to hear some Basil Polidori's main theme though. I, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I, as a big John Carpenter fan, for instance, um, you know, his thing was his thing because he was also a musician. So like his were the way he even told stories was a little bit musical. He mm -hmm. sort of knew what tracks were going to play. And then you got, uh, you got Paul, who, do, who did a, sh a shit ton of movies when I grew up. They all had a very, like you said, there's a cynical, it, it, it actually was some of his, like, uh, he also did uh, Total Recall, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Total, everything is like cyber, industrial cyberpunk, like the Surge versus the cyberpunk, mm -hmm. like a lot of us expect. And he always twisted it a little bit. And what I find is, for example, the remake of Total Recall, which I now am okay with. But when it first came out, I was like, what are you right. what is this um i want i i hope people my age who have a million dollars or who are a good director go out and sort of bring it back because i do feel that we're getting into this everything has to be super serious we're gonna do the moon or whatever and i'm like yeah i get right. that movie but i sort of want the goofy and yeah. unfortunately one of the big creators who i feel might have done that is has a bad, you know, has done stuff in his personal life, which is the Firefly uh, guy. I do believe that he mm. 
there was there was an ideal there that sort of came up when you saw the TV show Firefly. You were like, I sort of sure. get, I and we're not seeing that. I hope I hope we see that because like those kind of shows, dude. It's funny we're gravitating towards old shows, but those kind of shows, I want them to return. I get tired of seeing RoboCop. If that was all gritty, I would have probably been like, mm. it's too much. Like, it, like yeah. So part of it is what I call the prestige effect. Um, so it's the the good thing is when a genre movie that is a deep genre movie comes out and gets taken seriously, right? It's it's a it's good for the genre in general because more of those projects are going to get financed and more actors of note are going to want to be in them because they now have a, a bit of prestige. You know, it's kind of like the Nolan effect. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why right. that's how Batman became Hamlet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, true. Before they did the Michael Keaton, they were like thinking like Bill Murray was going to be Batman. Exactly. They couldn't find anyone to want to be Batman. So they put Mr. Mom in it and Michael Keaton was brilliant. So it worked. But like now Batman is like, he's Hamlet, you know, you're sort of like, it's almost like a goal of a lot. Of, I know, I know a lot of actors um uh, because of the show and the rest of it and like so batman is kind of like it would be really great to play batman but the problem with the prestige effect is now everything is herded towards prestige right so the people have uh kind of devalued or undervalued the the benefit of an entertainment first experience that can still have depth and you look at something yeah. like robocop it's hyperbolic in a lot of places but it also has emotional resonance and that's um, why it worked because it was that's what it works that's what Dude, I was watching yeah. Total Recall and I'm like, I uh, the reason why I bounced on that first one, it's not a great movie. I'm just saying it's I can easily watch it is because they forgot there's no laugh. It's just grim. So it's when grim. and and then that means the ending, which causes you to wonder, is it real or is it not, does not matter. That's the difference. It's like you're watching mm -hmm. it going, you guys have neutered the entire the entire feeling of it because now you've made it so it's just grim it's just very oblivion like which i liked oblivion too but it wasn't a, a remake of another movie and you get to the end and you're like i just don't care if right. he's if if it was a dream or not because you murdered i mean it's just like they even murdered the guy who did the first job and i think they murder him in the original movie the guy who does the mind job i can't remember the doctor who does the the work yeah, on him yeah. he's like i'm a, you know in the original movie he's like let go of me you know and you have that schwarzenegger <laughs> and you, that was also not to be rude i love schwarzenegger that's why it worked cuz he also sounded Ooh. like a goofball sharon stone worked she's this little thin lady and you got this beefcake walking in who can barely wear a shirt and right. there's the goofiness of him being big, but then, and the bad guy, Michael Ironside, of course, one of the best actors of all sure. time. That's why sure. he's Splinter Cell. That's why he is Splinter Cell. Yeah. Um, but these guys remaking it, it's the same thing happens with games is that sometimes you look at it and you're like, dude, I don't have an issue with you remaking it at all because there was a Robocop game too. But it's like, when you look at it, you're all, what are you, are you reflecting now? Are you, mm -hmm. are you just using the name? Because... That's not as if you want to tell a story now that has to do with Robocop, you could tell a very weird, awesome story like sure now, but it might no, not yeah. be. It might not be as probably wouldn't be as happy go lucky because we're living it. So the idea of them going back is what I'm excited for. I also felt that there was a little bit of, uh, you know, go a little bit of goofiness in that in that trailer. I hope it I hope it pans out. Yeah, man. I mean, and, and because that helps balance out like the extremity of the violence and everything. else. Exactly. You know? like, Dude, they, shooting it, in the balls in that first movie. He blows away his crotch. It's about orchestration. Like, you, yeah, you, you have to balance out the the melody of things. If it's all like one chord, 
then it's just going to be oppressive. Like, yeah. This is not yeah. going to be something you're going to want to revisit, you know? Um, but uh, it, I, I think it just comes, you know, as you develop a comfort with what you're doing and, you know, it becomes less important, I think, to achieve a certain accolade and more important to create a great experience for people. For people. Yeah. You know, I think those things kind of work themselves out. But it's always a dangerous thing to aim a project at deconstruction, right? right. Like, you're not telling a story as much as you're reacting to a story. Yeah. You know, yeah. or, well, we're not going to do these things because we're going to do a prestige thing. When you've already deemed your your work a prestige work, you've kind of like put concrete in your oatmeal at that point. You know, it's just like, you know, you're not giving yourself a lot of organic room to experience. I have a question for you. Do you, and Johnny, you as well. I just, I, I know Johnny's answer though, because I've asked this and we've talked about it, but I, I, I don't think I ever asked you this in the last podcast. If I did, I apologize, Brian. But so there's Uncharted and you got Nathan Drake and you got Indiana Jones. Now mm -hmm. that's what he is. He's the Indiana Jones of, of video games. It's great. He replaced Indiana Jones in many ways. But if you take a step back, he's a homicidal maniac. Slaughtering thousands of families, and there's jokes about like poor Bill reading his newspaper. Nate comes in, shoots him, and he was just working for you know like pay his wife's insurance bills, which is the same thing that happens with stormtroopers. You see those jokes all the time. Do you have a hard time with that kind of stuff, or do, are you easily? And the reason why I bring it up is because you were talking about um the other uh yeah. not, uh, uh what is it, The Last of Us. So you've got right, like right. The Last of Us. Now you're looking like, at a, like like what you know the dichotomy the there of the ludo narrative dissonance yeah like the little kind of thing, smirk right? yes. as he's murdered his 20th person and his wife still loves him and okay. you're like does that bother you or are you i'll be i'll be okay so a couple things so i always push back with the with the nathan drake is indiana jones thing uh, and i understand the parallel but having like you know re recently like rewatched the indiana jones films indiana jones is a college professor yeah <laughs> that doesn't really want to get involved in anything. Right. True. And then has a great reverence for everything he's going after. Yeah. And is always trying to do things in a nonviolent way if he can, and then kind of gets dragged into the fisticuffs and does stuff. Right. Right. And so the only thing that I think like, you know, Lara Croft, Nathan Drake, and Indiana Jones have in common is there's artifacts and they climb on stuff. I get you. Sometimes, I get you. Right? Because you're <laughs> saying the entry is completely different into the story. Totally like, different. Completely opposite sides. Yeah. Totally different. Nathan Drake is a treasure is, hunter mercenary. He's a treasure hunter. Yeah. Right. Like he, Nathan Drake is who Indiana Jones is in the first 15 minutes of Temple of Doom. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, Which causes a to, lot of people issues in Temple of Doom. He just wants to sell the Emperor's urn and yeah. get the money and date Kate Capshaw. But then he goes to Temple of Doom, so he's no longer that guy. Right. So by the time he gets to Rares of the Lost Ark, he's, you know, Belloc is closer to Nathan Drake. Than Absolutely Jones true. Is. Absolutely right. true. So it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me um, on, on an ethical level because I don't personally find Nathan Drake to be all that ethical. Okay. Uh, I, 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 might, I might even go as far as to say that Nathan Drake might be a bad person in a world of worse people. I so think he is. Absolutely. I still like him. But I, <laughs> I like him. But he's, like, he a long time ago passed into that for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. He's, He's and, like kind of he's a he's a scoundrel. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Which is funny because they sold Han Solo talking about Star Wars as a scoundrel. Yeah. But what you so, saw was a dude who basically just stole some money and then yeah. 
And then got, sh well, Greedo, that was the big thing about the remix of Greedo firing first. But you do sure. get you do get that feeling of that, um, it, the word scoundrel means something different in, in different shows. That's for sure. And, in different well, and then if you look at like Uncharted, the, the, the last Drake one, right? The, the, yeah. the four, right? Yeah, four. Mm -hmm. four. That poor kid is so traumatized. He, oh, dude. It, yeah. It's and it, it just maybe kind of read everything he's doing. Like, dude, you need to like work out your issues, man. Yeah. Like, you've got you've got some deep traumatic issues that are causing you to resolve conflict in a certain way, and you have relationship problems and attachment <laughs> issues. And hopefully, you can work I love this it. out, dude. And you Ryan know, is like, let's sit you down. Yeah, and work you know, like, like, dude, <laughs> you know like, Brian, yeah, Brian's like a therapy. Yeah. Hi, my yeah. name's Nathan, and I've been a killer for twelve years. Here's the thing about what I loved about four and then they nailed this. And as a storyteller, I, like, dude, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is just me putting wind behind sails that don't exist. I felt that one of the best levels I've ever played in my life was a level where he kills nobody and does nothing. And that's when he goes to the old lady's house and you realize she is him if he continues on his path and you go to this right. house and there's shit, there's artifacts laying around. It's, mm -hmm. it's a hoarder. And that's what you, you, as you're playing it, you come out of like, oh, he's playing Crash Bandicoot with his wife. He's got called into one last job. And you're like, all right, whatever. He's in that job. And then you, it flashes back to him as a kid with his brother. And they go into that pl place. And it's just, it, it it's his future. You're like, dude, if you continue on the path, that's where you're going to be. And I loved it that he has lived through all of it in one, two, three, up until four. Mm -hmm. But you haven't. That's the first time you saw that. And right, so as right. a player... I was like, oh my God, that changes. Like now I don't want him to go. Cause uh, sometimes I'm like, why do they have to end the adventurer's life? I always say this. Why mm -hmm. does every movie have to be the last dragon? Have all sure. the dragons. And then yeah. on honestly, Uncharted 4, it kicked me in the nuts. It was like, no, here's why. And I saw yeah. it and I was like, oh shit, I don't want Nathan to go out again. I was like, mm -hmm. I get it yeah. because that's his few. It's, it's mired in these memories that are tied anybody who's moved when you've thrown stuff away i know you may love it there's this weird calming effect when you move and you and your brain isn't attached to some mm -hmm. stamp it's like it's gone and there's that cool that cool moment of like freedom uh, it was good they uh, full, full disclosure i struggle a little bit with naughty dog gameplay in general gotcha because i always find there's a half step too much in like animation with everything uh, every single thing is too drawn out like getting in the cover takes like yeah. a half beat longer than I wanted to. Okay, like, that makes sense. Like aiming yeah. from target to target takes a half, and, I, and so I've I've never loved the gameplay right. as much as I've wanted to. Yep, Uncharted more so than The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't make it through the first Last of Us because okay. I just felt a disconnect with character movement. And I'm I know I'm weird. I know like chat might blow me up. I know I'm weird, but like it's just always been an issue for me with gameplay so that was um, a major I, complaint about red dead too by the way yeah you, you couldn't no. get people to shut up about the long animations so. well that and, and 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 to put rockstar on the skillet for a second that and <laughs> the the like neck breaking shift between i can do anything i want to you're going to end my life because i stepped off the road for a yeah, second right like that drive you talk about tedious yeah. that drives me up a wall i just got freedom and then no freedom. i wanted and yeah. then and then i have to get behind this bush exactly and in a only spot. this bush <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 mission <laughs> fail uh, 
Amazing. Uh, jo Johnny, did you have something to add? Because I I talked over the top of you. Well, you, I apologize. I, I just wanted to to bring the, up this parallel because you mentioned Han Solo mm. in a comparison, and they're almost like opposites in the sense that Han Solo is a character who is pretending to be worse than he is. Absolutely, make, Johnny. Right? No, you nailed Does it. Does that connect with that your read? completely connects, is that Han Solo is pretending to be because a scoundrel. Because he wants to be the bad guy. He wants the girl, he right? He, he wants, wants the to be chicks cool. to be like, oh, yeah. the bad guy, yeah. the bad boy. Yeah. Um, He sells himself as worse than he is because really, he's a pretty decent guy. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's got his lines that he won't cross very clearly. Yeah. Whereas Nathan is almost the opposite, where he's... It almost feels to me as a player of that game that he's selling himself as the good guy, whereas he's actually dude. Now you need a to do a video. Ruthless. Now you need to do a oh. video about this. You need to do, do a, a video, video where dude. you're like <laughs> the the scoundrel versus the anti scoundrel, like D and D, where you put anti well, in front of something. Well, I'm going to share with you a little narrative secret. So if you want a character to be really charismatic, you want to design a character that wants to be cool, okay, but gets one thing wrong for everything they get right but handles the mistakes in stride gotcha that's a base level character build so, that will probably get an audience there's competency there right. yeah. see yeah. the problem is when when people try to make a character who's cool and then they are cool and there's a total disconnect yeah right and so you you love han solo because sometimes the hyperdrive doesn't work yep but he but he yeah, keeps his, yeah. he keeps his cool with it right barely and, but and yeah that, that's how you identify with the yeah. character when you have a character who is cool and then does cool things and says cool things it can often disconnect and you'll think like why don't they why don't they really vibe with who this character is it's because you haven't given people an entry point yeah uh, into the character and and i think what people fantasize about isn't necessarily always doing the cool thing at the right time right i think what people fantasize about is when it doesn't go right you still kind of find a way through right because because yeah. we will live that experience far more than we will successfully dodge tie fire yeah. in the asteroid field yeah for us you know every day the hyperdrive doesn't work like six times yeah exactly <laughs> you know? so, and it's yeah. it's especially in those good games and there's uh to get off uh even naughty dog i i had this issue in quantum break um, though I thought it was an okay game. Alan Wake has it a little bit, though it's still one of my favorite games. But you do see it where characters, they they trot on and trot on, and that becomes a little grindy if they're not also using, if they're not elevating to coolness, getting one thing wrong and one thing right. I also want them to use what new, the new status they have or the new step up mm -hmm. in the next action. Learned a little bit. Oh, mm -hmm. I got it. And what we see a lot of times is, like you said, forced narrative where you're like, okay, I can do all this. And you think you can. So you're murdering everybody. And then you go talk to somebody and they're like, who are you? And you're like, bitch, who am I? The fucking house is on fire behind me. What do you I mean? Do all that. Yeah. I do all that. It's like I've seen it in Assassin's Creed games where people are dead. There's fire burning in a field. And I'm talking to somebody and she's like, it's yeah. such a quiet day. And I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Look what's here. And, and we're getting to that. Uh, Ubisoft talked about this in a GDC where they said we are getting to the point to where alerting NPCs about where your status is and how it's changed is is becoming a thing. But we saw it also in Skyrim. You would kill dragons, 50 dragons, you show up and the guy's like, I'm not letting you in. And you're like, seriously, I'm wearing your brother's skin. Like when yeah. 
are you gonna let me in if you're he's like no five dollars five dollars none of this makes sense that moment when you're not only able to build it and see a progress bar but at some point when the game says you are badass that's what i'm waiting for and you see it in the more story driven linear games like uncharted where you know that no matter how you get through the puzzle the end will always be the door here. It's gonna, it's gonna root you through a place. Gonna, and exactly. Then, and then the game is is coded to react yeah. to that place. And so it's easier to build that experience. Yeah, sure. and we've seen the narrative uh, dissonance at times, even in those games and other games where you do get done, even if it's a really good story, sometimes you're like, these guys haven't really noticed. It, mm-hmm. Red Dead had it as well. I, I mean, I firmly love the Red Dead games. Bully, one of my favorite games of all time. L.A. Noir, another favorite. These are all coming off from two companies. I should change my vibe and find another company to talk about. But those guys do a good job, but you do at times when those cutscenes start up. For example, L.A. Noir was terrible. There, I love the game. There was a part, there's a part in L.A. Noir, and this 25-year-old game. I don't know how old it is, but it's, it feels 25 old. years old. Yeah, so I'm not spoiling anything, older. but dude, I'm doing stuff in the game, and then suddenly it like flashes forward, and your character's done some stuff that you're like, did I? I don't I don't remember doing it. And I realized it was a cutscene and I was supposed to sort of pick up that I had done said thing. And it was mm-hmm. this massive moment where I literally thought I had missed a cutscene. And that shows you the danger of doing that. The danger of doing that is that you know your story. If you're not very good at imparting that story to other people, and obviously I'm I'm speaking of the choir, this is your job. But mm-hmm. as a reviewer, I notice that where I'll be like, whoa. They didn't, none of this makes sense. And I'm not talking about in a jokey parody video. It doesn't make sense. We can all do that. I'm saying in a true, in a true well, that, response that helps, like L.A. Noir did. It helps carry, you know, that, that sort of narrative experience. You know, like for me, the revelation of the first like uh, um, Arkham game uh-huh. was the confidence level of the enemies reduced when you started picking them off. So by the time there was one guy left, that guy was just like a mess yeah, pissing yeah. on himself. Yeah, and yeah. that made you feel like Batman. It did, it did. More than anything else. Yep. It was like, I just batman this dude down right. to like one guy. That's the fear. And he's like shooting everywhere. Yeah. has no idea. And then you're just waiting for him to get to the right spot so you can do the awesome Batman thing. Right. Like that. that's really effective. Like a Jedi Outcast is like that. Yep. Um, Fallout Order, I mean, uh, 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 because, you know, like, when you when you take out a dude, the other stormtroopers are like, "Oh man, yeah. <laughs> like there's a Jedi." Oh, this is there's awful. a little bit of panic there. Um, um, but and, and like we're talking about like, the watchdogs of it, where like you know the NPCs, like they have relationships with each other, and so if you affect this, this person's not going to want to join that sec because the other thing, you know, and so it, it's again, it's all all about you know uh, wanting to feel like. There are effects to my actions in a game that I cannot expect, right? right? But I can react to. Yeah, that yeah. to me brings me closer to a game. What pe- keeps me away is the sense that no matter what I do, I will either get herded to one specific point, or I won't. But the game will just simply ignore everything that I did and then do what it wants and and have the tone at once despite whatever my actions were that just reduces things down to gameplay and at that point i do check out the narrative and it's just about whether or not i enjoy the gameplay loop uh johnny so you did this video what did you come out of it what were your thoughts so so the the short of it is that basically for me i argued that games are a better medium for my taste because of two pillars that one is interaction 
and another one is time spent with companions and uh, or enemies too or villains right and i argue that movies and shows actually can't beat this barrier now they also have their pros because you could go into a movie already loving batman so you're already sold in batman right doesn't matter if you only spend two extra hours with him uh but in equal grounding you know my thinking is that first is what brian talks about with interacting uh, pu putting your hands in the pie, right? Uh, getting a different outcome or a different flavor of the story because of your uh, the, the way you play the game. Uh, that could also just be gameplay based. I'm where this dog out. sure, it just could be gameplay based. Where you know you battle so much, right? Or right. Witcher Three, Dark Souls. You just fight so much in that game that at some point it becomes your identity in that game, and you develop your kind of internal narrative. Totally. Where like you described, Brian, I love how you talk about like Fallen Order. Like you have this parallel journey of you as a player learning the game uh, and Cal learning mm -hmm. the Jedi craft, right? And it's almost like this beautiful parallel where both your skill levels go up in yeah, tandem, yeah. right? It's yeah. this awesome uh, consonance there. Uh, and time spent with companions is just think about like some of the games you mentioned where you spend 60 hours with you know, uh, Yaskir, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from Witcher 3 or whatever companion you can think of, you know, that really adds up. And it's the little moments, it's the little interactions that add up over time that is really hard to match in a medium where you have two hours or 10 hours in a TV show, something like that, to spend with those characters. So to me, and... Again, it, it's never a full-on fair comparison because sure. what are you comparing? Game of Thrones with, you know, right. uh, Greedfall or <laughs> right, not right, to right. take a stab at Greedfall, but you know what I mean? Sure. Um, but how, I wonder how you feel about that. Does that track for you or do you have a different... Well, I, I think I, I, there's similarity in experience in the sense that, you know, both these experiences involve screens you know, and there's a fair <laughs> amount of watching, you know, but for me, when I go to a game, it's never to replicate a film experience. When I go to a film, it's never to replicate a game experience. You know, they're very okay. different. Um, and, you know, something like Red Dead Redemption 2, right? Kind of impossible to give you that emotional experience in a film because part mm. of the emotional experience of that game is the sheer length of it, you know? Uh, and you can't replicate that. You know, I can't make a 60 hour movie. I mean, yeah, you can make a television show and all of that, but it would still be very different. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I think back to, you know, like the horse ride moment in the first Red Dead Redemption. And that was just such a beautiful out of the blue gaming moment for me where like, you know, you're just riding down to Mexico, I think. And, you know, you've got the song playing on the thing. Yeah. And I know they did it again with the Angelo song in Red Dead Redemption 2. I kind of expected it by that. Yeah, by that point, you knew, right? Already, right? So it had a little less effect, although I love that song. Um, but that only worked because of the amount of time I had put into the game world. You right. know, um, you know um, Arthur's, you know, journey, his plight. Uh, I'm not going to get the details. I don't want to spoil it for anybody because anyone who hasn't played Red Dead Redemption 2, I think should. So, you know, don't, yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything. But like... It's impossible to replicate that, I think, in a in a film experience the way it works, you know. So I think the they are different, but you know, I have had you know like kind of 
powerful emotional experiences playing a, a game. You know, like, like you know, I, I've fallen orders in the mind because I'm just playing it this morning, but I find the cutscene when young Cal is escaping Order 66 as probably one of the most emotional, emotionally like affecting moments of all Star Wars content. Okay. You know, I mean, it's not quite up there to like, you know, Luke and Vader and Jedi right. and some of like the paradigmic stuff. But like, you know, I, I would put that cutscene up against any moment in the sequel trilogy because it was just, you just feel for this kid. Like, you, you know, it was the brilliance of you begin it by talking to the clones who are like big brothers to you. Yeah. And then, and then suddenly they're attacking you and you just felt the confusion of it. And I never perceived that moment, talking about gaming film, because I was so focused on Anakin's experience of Order 66, yeah. I didn't really think about what it was like to be on the receiving end. I mean, there's that one like, there's too many of them, what do we do? There was always that kid, that kid, like that poor kid. Yeah. But like, I hadn't really <laughs> thought about what it was really like, you know, um, to lose everything, to suddenly become so incredibly unsafe. You know, uh, it just resonated for me in a way that I'm not sure, you know, one, they would have done that moment in a movie because it's kind of more of an adult kind of moment. Yeah. It's not something you're going to bring kids to, you know, you're not going to, you know, here's your Order 66 playset. Like, that's not going to really work, you know. It's just um, disembodied Legos everywhere. <laughs> right, like, you're not really, oh my you're not God. Really selling that's just wrong. Order 66, yeah. you, know? like, you want the Order 66 theme park ride? Yeah, like, probably not. not. Really nah. going to yeah. go through that? Um but yeah, uh, I think, you know, Dragon Age has had some really, you know, kind of intellectually resonant as well as emotionally resonant stuff. You know, I think games, to me, games have the most bold ideas of narrative these days. You know, uh, if I compare the ideas in games to the ideas in movies, I think, especially genre ideas, oh, all of the bold, uh, you know, groundbreaking concepts are in gaming now. Uh, movies are pretty timid these days when it comes to ideas. Um, I was going to bring this up because one of the things we had on the news list was Nacon or Nason. I think it's Nacon. That's how I pronounce them. But anyway, they they had a big show and they showed a bunch of AA games. This got us under the discussion. I did a video called like Top AA Games Coming. There were some new ones they showed. And you hear this. Oh, all thank you, by the way, for your Ascent review. Oh, dude, that game. Because that's the reason why I fired that game up. And I love that game. Yeah, I don't like, know if you I got a chance. The game. walking the walk I did, I used it. Oh, I did. Yeah, dude, that there's part. stuff yeah. going on in that game that you never yeah, see. Yeah, and I noticed it. Like you broke down stuff that I didn't because oh, you know because so the nature of the gameplay, you're not really yeah, like, you're not at standing that. around looking. Yeah, you're, you're twitching and killing the entire yeah. time. Yeah, but like yeah, just like when you did the walkthrough, um, and after I I'd beaten it, so I went back to yeah. it and all that and love that game i you talk about something i'd like to work on like narratively oh i would love to write a story in the ascent universe i nice. think i think there's so much space to explore yeah um, no pun intended uh with uh with that narrative world and so i hope that you know it's it, the game was successful enough that they can a make more and then b feel like there's an appetite for novels or comics or shows or whatever i need think to, need to just thing. roll out and ask them just be like yeah, hey, yeah. guys i might just like email and be like yo i want to do something um the nacon event it was it's attached to like this double a talk so you know double a games get a lot of <clears throat> i would say they get a lot of credit for doing a little bit more than a triple a game because triple a games you could sort of say are like movies where a little bit safer sometimes not always but we'll say sometimes you see these double a games these budget games trying to or or attempting all kinds of stuff. Like for instance, um, there's a game coming out here in a little bit called, called Power Chord. And it's basically like, you know, guitarist card based 
mm-hmm. uh, card battler game, but you're guitar, you know, you're like heavy metal oh, guitarists, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're grabbing all these little ideas. They're doing monster trains, another one where they're doing, uh, they like you're on a train, literally fighting monsters in a card, you know, side to side card battler kind of game. You're seeing, you're seeing these titles that are trying to do something different. Have you in the last year, let's say, felt, um, has there been anything that surprised you? Uh, and it doesn't have to be double A. It's just that they are a big double A company. And I saw some stuff. The reason why I bring this up is because the last game I can say, wow, was not expecting this game at all is Concrete Genie, which mm. was which had you paint genies that came to life on the wall out of neon. And I was just like, what? This is the greatest. Like this mm-hmm. idea is fantastic. That was, I think, the last time where I was like, wow, that's I, I want 10 games in this world. Has there been anything in the last year or two um, gameplay-wise? That's, and I know you're busy and maybe you only get to play the bigger. Well, really, I mean, uh, honestly, in that space, it's The Ascent was the last thing that like, gotcha. was, you know, was something that it's, you know, it, it's hard to market something like that yeah. because on a flyby, you're like, is this like Axiom Verge or something? Like, I don't right. know what, you know, what, what am I looking at? You know, and um, you, you need some introduction to its depth to get in there. Um, and I'll just say, hey, because of Game Pass, I'm yeah. experiencing these things that I, I honestly normally probably wouldn't pick up. Right. You know, um, because for, I'm, I'm a little more specific when it comes to like double A experiences um, because I know that like, well, they probably won't have a lot more than what I'm immediately perceiving. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. Because yeah. they don't, you know, it's like, what's the cloud punk, you know, yeah. like, while well, I like cyberpunk, I like open worldy kind of stuff. So this seems like my bag, but if that was like, I don't know, like a 57 Chevy in a suburban neighborhood, it could be the best game in the world, but aesthetically it might be like, I don't feel like driving a car that looks like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, The (laughs) uniqueness of it. And, and you are, that's a good point that you just said, where in a lot of times you look at the game and you know, that's what you're getting. That, that's that, like, that's, that's going to be my gameplay. That's yeah. And, you know? and where steam or whatever may be a little bit more accurate. Cause sometimes I've had bitches where I'm like, dude, I feel like a lot of this stuff is inaccurate, but actually now that you say it, there are certain times you can, you can look and go, yeah, okay. I get, I get exactly what I'm going to be doing. Johnny, do you have any in the last two years that have really lit your fire surprise wise or anything like that? I'm not sure anything comes to mind that I haven't mentioned already. Because you're spending a lot of time in Final Fantasy, which is a game that's been remade already one time. <laughs> well, both Final Fantasy have been remade. Did you guys see that? Um, well, no, we did. We talked about it before. So it'll be a trilogy for Final Fantasy VII remake or remake. What's it called? The new. What's the one on Steam called, Johnny? Uh, it popped onto Steam. Final Fantasy remake. VII. Isn't there a remake. name for it afterwards, like a sub subtitle? Yes. Um... Invictus or no, I'm just uh, making shit up now. It's not Invictus. <laughs> I can't remember what it is, but do, are yeah. you, Brian, are you a Final Fantasy fan? I mean, I don't even know what, what, what that is really. Right. Because there's so many titles and there's so many experiences, <laughs> yep. you know, I mean, you know, I obviously from like the PS PS one era, you know, like yeah. go deeply into it then. Um, you know, I, I kind of dabbled in some of the lightning era stuff uh, and thought that was interesting. I didn't, gravitate to the and this is going to be a terribly reductionist way to say it the boy band one <laughs> oh 14 15 15, 15, yeah, yeah. 15 with the car I, 15, yeah. I thought it was like i thought it was really gorgeous but um the world felt kind of dead yeah. to me a lot of times and so and then after that i sort of stepped away a little bit because i was i just 
haven't seen anything that made me say, I really want to dive back into it again. Um, and I know they're massively time consuming experiences. So, you know, if, if I don't feel like I'm going to be able to uh, really vibe with it, and I know it's going to take me a number of hours to really get to the red meat core of what the thing is offering, then I got to wait until, you know, I'm in a situation where I need, I need to burn some time and then I'll fire, fire something like that up. To get, um, you know, because you are working on a bunch of stuff, uh, do you do vacations? Well, um, I mean, I'm never in a place where I'm doing nothing. Right. Because right? you're overlapping um, multiple different medias at the same yes. time, right? Yeah. I have things that I'm working on that feel very much like work. And then mm -hmm. I have things that I'm working on that I really, really enjoy. Uh, those are the polemics and there's ranges in between. So, um, you know, I mean, I do have like periods where I'll, you know, kind of step away from so many different things, but I'm nibbling at something, but yeah, I'll go somewhere or might just rent a place, you know, I'm in LA, so I may rent something out of the city, mm -hmm. you know, just get kind of like a rural place that's about two, three hours away from here you know, bring the iPad so I can do some writing, but be by a lake or something for a month, like that kind of stuff I do uh, uh, for sure. But I'm really, really grateful to be a professional creative. So my imagination is what, you know, kind of pays my bills and all of that. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I'm ever in a place where my imagination isn't working on something. You know, It's funny because we rent a cabin, um, about once every two years. We're trying to do it once every year, but it falls apart. But once every year and getting one without cell phone coverage is very difficult, which is what I do because I oh, don't want- Oh, so you can disconnect. Dude, I want nothing. I want board games, analog. I want to feel it. I want to like, friends well, can't be looking at their phones. They're like, hey I'm man, so and you're impressed. all, dude, I'm dying. And they're like, you're dying of what? I'll look it up on the internet. And you're like, no, talk to me. So I, think I find that, these I think places. Being a, a YouTuber, and I and I don't, and that sounds reductive, and I don't really like the term, but it's the it's a term of art within discussion. Being a YouTuber, I think, is one of the most difficult jobs in entertainment. Like it's it like from working in the entertainment business. Um, and I do consider like, you know, well-written, well-articulated reviews are a form of entertainment. They're informative, of course, but they're yeah. also entertaining, right? And and but it's like you, you got to do everything, you know, it's yeah. like you're you're interacting with your audience, you're producing your content, you know, you're deciding on what content you're going to do, you're keeping up with what's going on. It's, you know, I promise you that if you walked into any like newsroom somewhere, you'd be shocked at how lazy everybody was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's so I can totally understand why you want to get to a place where you could disconnect, because part of the 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 media task of it is being so hyper connected you know um and and you're so you know you guys are so responsive to your to your you know to your your, your patrons and your viewers and your subscribers and the rest of it and you're so generous that you, you give a lot well i and appreciate I can, that it's, i can imagine you just need to like go to a back go, to tank yeah. somewhere <laughs> dude do you know what rocks back, though you know what rocks to me uh and and it is tough like i've logged been a logger I've logged, yeah. I've pulled green chain. People who know what green chain is automatically know that's the hardest job I'm going to list because it's it's beyond hard. And I'm way more tired at times. Even when, even seven years ago when I started, I was doing it going, holy shit, because it's like audio. Then you Just jump to editing. And I have Abzi. Luckily, I finally got an editor. Abzi has been helping me. And I, dude, Brian, I realized, I mean, obviously, you know this left side, right side of your brain. I had forgotten how much the creativity can be destroyed when you're editing. 
versus when you're writing, which is, of course, why some people, you know, they write and they have somebody edit for them. There's a Mm -hmm. different thought process that needs to occur. So, dude, I was I didn't realize what was going. I knew what was going on because I had talked to Abzi about it, but I didn't know how much it was affecting me until one time I was like, I am done. And I shuttled him the videos. And then I sat there for like an hour going. What the fuck? What am I? What am I supposed to be you have doing mental right now? space all of a sudden? Yeah, dude. but my Think creativity wasn't stuff. dying down. I was like, oh man, I can create something. Else. What's happening? Boom. It was like, yeah, it was this, it, it was this weird feeling. And yeah, that is the one thing I will say that is weird about this job. Cause I do know somebody who works at a number, probably one to seven or eight top newscasts who is in the business and what they talk about. Everybody's got a very detailed job. Executive mm-hmm. producers seem to be depending on games versus movies. I'm talking about games. They do a lot. And they, they they're actually not just like their names attached. They're in there and they do a lot, but most of the time people have pretty easy lines where he's like, no, this person, you shuttle it for this person, this person. I mean, obviously that's the only way it works, but with YouTubers, unless you're big, you don't have the money Mm. to do that. So it is on you. So yeah, I appreciate it. it is, it is hard, but. Uh, you know, hey, we're blessed, right? It's like, like you said, you're able to create, I'm able to create. Johnny's still working at a job he likes, but he is still working at another job. And um, I will say that they say, watch out with hobbies becoming, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that hasn't happened to me. And if it does, I will walk away. I will be like, because I don't want to lose video games. But like, I've always been wondering, when is that going to happen? Where I'm like, there's been times where you're looking at a game release set and you're like, hmm. There's nothing well, that's I, really like, you know, to mitigate that statement. I think it's, you know, if a hobby is, has the potential for a passion, then yeah. I think you'll be okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like I produce music as a hobby. Right. I awesome. know that I don't love it enough to deal with BS. Gotcha. You just know it. Right. Like you yeah. just, you just know, you just know in your gut. Yeah. Yeah. That first day when the rapper doesn't show up right. or doesn't know the lyrics or brings 18 guys into the studio is the last day I'm going to produce hip hop. That makes right? sense. Because yeah. I, just, I don't love it enough to deal with the nonsense. And and that's what I always tell people. We're like, well, what, that's you know, a very good point. looking for purpose and the rest of it. I'm like, pick something that you love enough to deal with the nonsense. Yeah. It's like they talk about relationships, like yeah. pick someone whose problems you can love. Yeah. Right. Because you're gonna love anyone's great qualities. Because it's easy to love a craft, right? Yeah. When things are going well, when you're in totally. the everyone in the, loves things that are going in the well, easy right? part. But when shit gets hard, That's you need that drive, dude. Right? Like, yeah. like you, you gotta, need like find a, find a thing that yeah. that you can do on the rough days, right? And so, and then you'll be okay. This is an interesting discussion because it does swing me back to games where uh, we just saw this recently. Um, uh, Monkey Island, the developer who artist creator of Monkey Island said, listen, I'm not going to listen to your guys' toxic bullshit anymore. Um, they were mad about the art style. I'm, I'm removing myself. He's still making the game, but he's like, I'm removing myself from social media. And I see that from a lot of devs. I talked to man. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was saying this last podcast, I didn't even know an entire segment of my people on Twitter had left Twitter completely. They just abandoned their accounts and went to LinkedIn because it was so toxic in all ways, because it's not just one thing. It's a thousand people all it's one against a thousand. You'll never win. Like in, in that kind of context, you'll never win. And, um, I, I feel, I do feel, I do feel for a creator because 
at some point you do want to see how somebody reacts. And so if you're like making a game and you've done the best you can, and it's the same way with a comic book, right? You've done, you, you feel like, man, I, this writing is, and then somebody like fucking stupid Carrick does a video about your comic and it's like, I didn't like the character. Sh- and you're like, shitting you on your comic. <laughs> how do you get over that? Or do you, so like Johnny Depp says, I don't watch any of my shit. <laughs> like, is that what you, do you ever look at okay. reviews, Brian? Cause I've, I don't think I've asked you that. Okay. All the okay. time. Okay. And I, I mean, and I probably have a, you, you, maybe, maybe a weird kind of way in on this. Okay. Yeah. I'll no, be totally, I'll be totally honest, Carrick. Like, brother, I grew up in St. Louis, you know, single parent home, you know, dreaming of being creative. Mm-hmm. I'm always mystified when a stranger has even encountered my work. And li- yeah, I get you. That's what I don't I even care about. what they say. Yeah. Like I wrote a, I did an X-Men miniseries a bit ago called Fallen Angels that is largely disliked, I think, by the comic book community. I mean, I've got some people that found some some merit in it, um, but people did, didn't vibe with it. And I don't think it was the best vehicle for me as a storyteller. It just wasn't, you know, sometimes it just yeah. it ain't hitting, right? Every yeah. song ain't a hit. Um, and, and yeah, I got some incoming fire on that. Uh, but it's just like the idea that people I've never met spent their time to engage something I created, that is still magical to me even yeah. if they don't like it. So like, you know, if I if I see some YouTube review of my work or some discussion of me that is negative, I can't even get past the fact that they're discussing it at all. It was worthwhile to right. talk about me on their YouTube channel yeah. that is a revenue stream, so they think enough people care about I, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm still kind of in the mentality of like, really? But, but that's pretty rare, Brian, because you're kind of removing your ego in a way that I think a lot of people have can't. a problem with. Yeah, because, you know, let not to toot your horn, but you've quote unquote made it, right? Like in this space where in, like you're recognized. In the, in the broadest of terms, right? yes, you could say that, I, that you, I've made it. You've like, made I'm not it like, like a lot you of. JJ Abrams or anything. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about his take on Star Wars. I was just going to say. You're better than JJ and more probably well-liked. But anyway, continue. Sorry, continue. So my thing is people in your position would very likely develop really toxic expectations. Like, Mm. oh, because I've had this level of success here, I now expect it everywhere. And then when they get something different, maybe people dislike a new project, they, you know, they go negative and they you know, they go on a depressive uh, period because they have this toxic expectation narrative in their head that they're entitled to that success right on their next mm. project. And I think what you do that in uh, what you do there in a beautiful way is like remove the ego. You're just like you're as good as your latest project, right? You're you're just working the, the journey and this is the newest project. Maybe it didn't click. You know, we're moving on to the next one. And I appreciate well, that. And it's not like I'm impervious, but. Um, you know, do I feel bad when someone had a bad experience with my work? Well, it doesn't make me feel good, but it it's not that I feel badly about it because they didn't like me and they didn't like the thing I did. I feel badly because they spent their money and time and didn't get something they thought was worth their money and time, right? And, and, and I didn't grow up with a lot. You know, I'm, I'm 
grateful now and blessed now, but I did not grow up a lot. I grew up on like government cheese sandwiches. You know, I grew oh, up on Wick. Wick, on, baby. On That's Wick, what I grew up on. You know Wick. what I mean? Like, yeah. I was pretty broke growing so up. So people and... know that stood for women, infants, and children. It was a state, state sponsored oh. food. And yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's, you know, it's like food stamps, yeah. like that kind of thing, right? Like, um, you know, I, if, you would, if you went into the kitchen when I was young, you would see all the generic labels on things. Absolutely. Because it was like flour. Dude, sugar. macaroni and cheese was like a white <laughs> box with black lettering that said mac black and cheese. Letters. And it was just, yeah. just like, uh, whoa. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, MREs for children, basically. So, like, the idea that someone spent their money and time on something and didn't get something rewarding out of it, that doesn't make me feel great because I know the value of a dollar and I know the value of a minute. But it's for me, it's always about like, you know, the, the experience that I'm trying to generate for the people. Like it's, I'm okay. You know, like if someone, like a one-star review on a comic book I wrote or someone who doesn't like, but the television show that I'm writing and producing, uh, I mean, that doesn't affect me really, you know, in a negative way, but I, I wish they had a better experience with the hour of their time they spent watching it. Or I know what it's like to love a character deeply to watch something that you don't feel honors that character that character right yeah. and to be kind of bummed about it yeah. and when people feel like that like that 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 you know is something i consider i don't get depressed about it but i do think about it yeah um and i think that's part of the reason why my although i i do work inside of the forms that exist project to project right so sometimes i'm part of a machine sometimes i have a little bit more control about direction but i will say that my nature is not deconstruction primarily for that reason that not that sense, i like right? shallow constructionist work but um i i never feel like well in order to really get to the heart of superman i need to deconstruct superman away from superman. i see what you mean yeah. you know like i'm more like what's the best superman story i can tell Right. right. That's based on what I love about Superman rather than, well, I can't really identify with it. So I need to deconstruct yeah. it in this way to make it vibe with me. Dude, when I have that I feeling think... about something, I, that, those are the things I turn down and I get offered a lot of stuff. So just, just real quick. So um, if someone offers me something, even if it's a massive opportunity, but I know I'm not the best person to do this. Right. Because I don't, I don't get the love. I can, from an intellectual space, I can understand why people respect it and I respect it, but I don't love it. Like one of the things you rarely see me do in comics is, if you notice, you've never seen me do the cosmic superheroes, right? Gotcha. I don't do those a lot. Um, I did a Green Lantern short story uh, once that I, I thought I did a, a decent job on. Um, but if you notice, I don't gravitate to that stuff because I don't inherently get it, you know? And I know people love it. Yeah, right. Uh, but I, I just, I, I'm not there. You know, I'm more of a Batman, Daredevil, you know, Spider-Man, you know, kind of guy, you know? And so like, I'm, I'm more of a, more of a there, you know? And so if something is a big opportunity, um, but I don't, I don't know if I can realize it the best way. I don't want to be the reason why somebody's mad at the franchise they love because I did a thing that subverted yeah. it in a way that bummed them out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, like, like that's the thing I'm trying to avoid, you know, like you can say like, okay, I love this story. Fine. But I don't want to ruin anybody's childhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing that I'm trying to avoid. No, I get it. Uh, Johnny, do you have 
were you going to well, say something? I was going to add, I think it can also be like a toxic ego thing from a writer's perspective to go into a project with the mentality of, I'm going to break down, yeah. right? I, yeah. I'm going to leave my mark in this. Like, I'm really sure. going to. And, and that's not important to me at all. It's not important to you, it seems. And I respect that because I think for for us, like fans, it is like we want people to build on what we like already. Yeah. Okay, sometimes you can subvert the narratives. You know, it's fun as well. But I think a lot of the times in comics that I can remember where there was a big hubbub where everybody hated it, it was normally because they went... Up, right up against the core, a core characteristic or character uh, uh, of someone in the story, right? Uh, I know Spider-Man has had some of this stuff, uh, you know, like some sometimes where they really just wanted to do something opposed. Opposed. Um, yeah. It is funny because we're talking about this and this is something I grew up. So when role-playing and movies, TV shows, whatever, when I grew up, there was, so if role-playing, there'd be like, your paladine, your blah, blah, blah. And then after a certain amount of time, especially during the crow and a couple other times, nineties, eighties, nineties, anti became a thing. So it was like in RPG, it was like, you're the anti paladine, which means you're the bad paladine, like our paladin. Mm -hmm. Sorry. People pronounce it that way. It, it, it is right. So, and we got the, I call him emo, but you got those shows, the crow who was the anti hero. And then what's happened now is, I feel that all of a lot of the deconstruction, all it really was, was just a resurgence of the same anti-hero thing. And they're like, oh, it's got to be, you know, anti-hero. And then now that's sort of de facto, where anytime somebody announces something now, I'm assuming that they're going to try to deconstruct something. Sure. And, and and that bothers me a little bit because every time a new superhero, every time a new whatever comes out, I'm like, oh, here we go. It's going to be, it, yeah. you know, it's going to be J.J. Abrams going like, let me... Sorry, I'm not in love with the new Star Wars movie. So anyway, you know, let me let me let me, <laughs> let me like go directly against and whatever, you know. What I mean, that's life. That's uh, it. Just feels well, like a cycle I've lived through once already, though. There, there's this, you know, there's a balance between like you don't want to just do what's been done before, but you know, you also don't want to just blow it in the smithereens, right? Because um, when is Superman no longer super, Brian? When that's he's the scary, problem. yeah. You know, like when I when I go to a Superman movie. And kids are scared of him. Yeah, right. That's when I think things <laughs> yeah. have gotten off the rails. Yeah, dire man. Right? I don't know what you'd even call him. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's when you just got to take a step back and wonder what you're doing with your life. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. And like, like, look, it's it's look, it's hard to make Star Wars. I'm not judging anybody who makes Star Wars. It's incredibly difficult. There's a billion moving parts. I totally get it. One of the reasons why I say like I probably wouldn't work on it is Star Wars story about what. Right. About what? What? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I literally, I don't have anything in my head that I, like, I don't know what needs to be told now. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess there's, there's space, like, after the sequel trilogy, I suppose, but, like, I don't know what that would be about. And and I'm not, I'm not a person that likes to map out every moment of the mythology. And because and, I, for as much as that stuff is additive, it's also subtractive because it deletes imagination. And it's funny because somebody brought up Brightburn, uh, which was the yeah. superhero child. And I admit, I saw it originally. I was like, oh man, this could be, you know, it could be interesting because they weren't trying to, they were, yes, he was a Superman replacement like the boys in right, some way, right. but it was like as a child. And I was like, whoa, because I'm going to be honest. I don't know if this was just me. I was pretty homicidal as a kid. 
I, I, like, I had to learn rules that were okay. You can't well, punch like, somebody. That's like psychology or something. I'm pretty think, sure that is I psychology. Think kids are that, like sociopaths. Yeah, until like a certain because you're selfish, right? You're, everything is about you. You don't understand the outside. It's they almost just, like a they, video game. Everybody doesn't just, happen. Everybody's an NPC in your world, right? right. And you're like, what's going to happen if they go away? And you're like, I'm not thinking that far ahead. Well, right and that's now. one of the reasons why, like, you we look at like psychopaths and sociopaths, because um, I, you know, like I, I write a lot of bad guys. So I yeah, a lot of true. Stuff. Yeah, a lot of the roots of that are are kids who were never in an environment that was affirming F like so fostering yeah affirmation. never got through that phase they yeah just got bigger and stronger and smarter yeah right um and uh so so yeah so like brightburn i mean brightburn's probably more accurate to what it would be like yes in a lot of yeah. ways. it would for that age of a child it would be it would you be. know you know the first person that gets on the wrong side of clark kent uh, might not work out you know um uh, but, but yeah, like it's, for me, it's always about, is there anything that I feel like I can add to this that is relevant and right. not just more, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I, you know, I know this may be an unpopular opinion. Like, I kind of feel like I've seen the stories in Star Wars that I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I'm open I, for I, more I games to, right. to be able to experience the stuff. It would be like, great, but I'm not really chomping at the bit for like a, you know, a WeeWeg series yeah or, you know like you know klatu baratum Niktau, you know the adventures <laughs> of like i mean you could do it but like yeah sometimes you, know? you have to look at it and be like are i am okay with some fictions just being like that's it that's, <laughs> that's it might be it that's where me, we are you know, for, for I mean, like, maybe 20 years from in. now yeah. yeah like somebody could have a brilliant idea you know yeah. that brings me way back I'm, in that's where i'm, I'm at i'm also open because i may not think uh, of something like to do with it but like maybe someone has a cool idea, right? And they they do like a a, a spin-off show that nobody expects. Like it, Yeah. It may be good. Has no but... right to be good, but it could be good. Um Johnny, yeah. what questions do we have in the Discord for Brian? Because I know we have some. All right. Uh here we go. Uh Mr. Anonymous, in what game movie book universe would you like to live? It can be temporary or permanent. What are the reasons for choosing that universe? Oh, that is a very good question. And um, temporary what? or permanent. That could Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Well, if it was temporary, then probably Skyrim. I don't think I want to stay there forever. No. But I wouldn't mind being there for a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, check out the forest for a bit. I mean, I live in Los Angeles. So I already live in Night City in Los Santos. Like, I yeah. don't need to go to a game. No need to, to go to no need to go to cyberpunk. You're like, I you pretty know, much I'm live in, in the, the shitty I live in a, I, I'm in a penthouse in a high rise. Oh, you know? OK. So, like, no, you live in the nice where you're corpo, man. Yeah, I'm a corpo, basically. <laughs> so like I'm already a corpo. Yeah. So like that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really do it. Um, But yeah, like I, I think, you know, as far, I've, I was never into fantasy novels um, mm -hmm. growing up. But I do like fantasy games because I, I think, you know, as society develops, space is something that's becoming less and less of a thing, you know, and I kind of like the space. I like the wander, you know, um, and the, the simplicity of things, you know, like kind of living according to your needs day to day. Like there is there is kind of a romance for me in that. So the more simple right. kind of I yeah. need, I need I'm going to go get. And then, yeah. you know, the metaphysical aspects of Skyrim to, you know, just, you know, magic being, you yeah. know, on its surface real, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. That'd be cool. Uh, Johnny, what was yours? 
That's a very We're seeing Star one. Trek while I, you're thinking next generation. We're seeing temporary Elden Ring. Wow. Temporary is right. You yeah, you'd be there like, for like 35 seconds. Mad Max would be fun. It would uh Mad Max is a hard ass world. Wow. That's that's you're a strong person. What about you, Johnny? Well, just oh, go into the desert with a car and no water. And then park the car and just walk into the <laughs> desert. Walk. Mad Max, welcome. There you go. Right <laughs> well, uh, what about you, John? You got any? Uh it actually I like the idea of going to Hogwarts. I would yeah. like to try my hand at I think I could do well in the university, you know? Yeah. I'll just learn. I'll just like be a great student and learn all the strats and be like, you know. Yeah, that'll be fun. It is funny because like you look at this kind of stuff and every answer I give, you if you give it at your age, so at my age, if I went to Hogwarts, that's just creepy. Ah, like that's yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just like that's 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 a that's a creepy dude, you know, being a student. Uh, what do you call him? Student aide, you know, true, who's like, true. how you doing? But Hogwarts would be cool because ma I also love the idea of magic. And I think the idea of Skyrim's magic is surface level and people aren't um, they're not. It's not demonic. It's not whatever. People can be magic users in that world. And it's shallow as in it's available. I like that. I think that mm -hmm. and Skyrim's also one, two, three. We always joke about this. If I jumped into Skyrim, I'd be a multi-billionaire in seconds because I'd just grab all the mushrooms and sell them the same person. So mm -hmm. if we're talking about that, I probably would also agree that it'd be Skyrim, you know, or a Bethesda game of some kind. Probably yeah, not Fallout. The reason I didn't say Star Wars is I want to be able to force choke somebody without You'd be my killed. entire destiny to, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm too gray. I'm too gray for Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, that too. Yeah, that too. Uh, what, else, what else we got, Johnny? Next up, this question from Casitas. NFTs and comics. Can we make it happen? And should we ban myself that. from Discord for asking? I saw that. Ign ignore that. Funny. NFTs, man. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, it, I'll just I'll just say briefly. I've been approached uh, quite frequently about uh, developing one, and I did oh. a lot of I did a lot of research into it. And until I see actual value for people, do not expect to see me participate in the NFT space. Because as of right now, I only see how I would benefit from it. And if I don't see how anyone but me would benefit from it, then I don't, I'm not interested in doing it. Yeah. Not that I'm anti, I'm not anti anything. I just, you know. No, you looked into it, right? It you is, weren't against. It's like, almost like yeah. if you say, when you look at financial stuff, you could also say a head coach isn't a head coach if no team's following them. And with NFTs, mm -hmm. you'd be the lead, you'd be doing well, but the people around you weren't doing well. At some point, that's going to turn toxic. Like, I see how lucrative it can be for the person that generates the exactly. NFT, but it's, I don't see how lucrative it would be for the people that that acquire one. Yeah, and that, that karmically, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. just going to come around. Seems to lead you. to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> NFT Sith eyes. Let's do it. Wait, uh, what else you got, Johnny? This question from Shadow for Brian: mm. How much of an imagination do you have to have in order to write? And how hard is it for you to take someone else's vision and put it into writing? Well, uh, for the first question, um, I think, you know, any measure of imagination, honestly. Um, and I think imagination is like sort of anything that you can nurture and grow, right? So um, it can start with any sort of level of dreaming, you know, whatsoever. As long as you have the ability to ask what if and you're interested in the question, then you can be a storyteller. Wait, so uh, you actually think, sorry, Brian, you yeah. actually think everyone has it? Because I thought that some people just kind of have crappy imagination, like well, almost I mean, a binary. Well, 
Well, well, there is actually a psychological condition where a person is unable to see things in their mind okay. that exists, right? I guess let's so there, put there's that a certain aside. percentage of the population that literally, you say horse, they cannot see a horse in their mind. It's really, really <laughs> interesting. I forgot what it's called. Look it up. Outside okay. of that, you know, it's like anything, you know, like it, it's, if you're interested, if you're interested in a thing, in doing a thing, you likely have the base level material to get better at doing the thing. Now you may find that the requirements for mastery, it just kind of, you know, your Eludes interest you? lessens. Right. Oh, yeah. Totally fine, right? Like I studied martial arts for a while, you know, I got a black belt in Taekwondo and then I was like, yes. ooh, I could study judo. And I was like, you know what? I'm not really in love with rolling around on the floor this much. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I understand that it's a super effective martial art, probably more effective than Taekwondo. I get it still not really interested in rolling around on the floor this much. I guess I'm just going to have to run, yes. you know? And so like, you know, so that's how I feel about that. And then um, as long as there's something inside of someone else's creation that I can emotionally resonate with, then I can do it. I mean, the only, only time I would have a trouble with something is if I just didn't get it, um, didn't get it. Yeah. or, or it just felt like a technical exercise because I understand structure characterization and I know right. the tricks. Or like you said, you know I, your limits. You know that's not your like the thing you're good at somehow. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not great at writing like a straight comedy. Like I can put comedic elements into things, but like you're not going to get a hangover out me out of me. And yeah, like, yeah. Man, the movie's funny as fuck. Right, yeah. and I could try to do it, and because I have some mastery of craft, it might be half as funny as Hangover, but it would feel like pulling teeth. Right. Because right. I, it's just not. It doesn't live within me natively. So. Only in those scenarios. I got a question as well in Discord. Oh, go ahead. Can, can I just add that yeah. quick question there? Because it's interesting that you compared it to like physical sports and stuff where it's literally training muscles in some way, right? Mm -hmm. But imagination, I think for a lot of us, we view it as, again, you either have it or you don't. But you really think it's something you can train over time? Do you find your imagination is now way better than like when you started? Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, once you once you get into a practice of, you know, creating things and then detailing them and then creating things based on the things you created before, you know, you start building the synaptic pathways for the right. kind of thing. And, you know, whenever people tell me that, like, well, I just, you know, I just don't feel like I have an imagination. And I'm like, do you have a closet with different clothes in it? Do you walk to that closet and decide which of these combinations you're going to wear? Well, you have an imagination. Unless you are literally wearing the same thing every day in the same way, and there's nothing distinctive in anything in your house, and you don't care where anything is ever, then you have an imagination, right? Yeah. You know, we just might, you just might be in a life situation where it's not activated a lot, right? Because a lot of the jobs out there don't activate imagination. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I would say most people, you know, if, if a child came up to a person and said, will you tell me a story? most people would find some story to tell. And that means you have an imagination. Uh, Jack asks, uh, what's a favorite comic, uh, this is for Brian, from a critically acclaimed or beloved uh, creator like Jack Kirby, uh, Neil Gaiman, am I pronouncing that right? Oh yeah, okay. Christopher, um, Christopher no, no. Priest or whichever. Like, is there, a, is there a, this guy did awesome on this one? I mean, obviously there's probably gonna be one, there's, one. But is sure, there? Sure, there's, there's, there's tons, but I, you know, I'd, I'd say like the most influential single work uh, comic book uh, for me is probably 
Batman Year One by Frank Miller. Gotcha. If I had to boil it, Frank Miller and David uh, Mazzuchelli. If I had to boil it down to one single thing, um, and that would be a, a close tie with uh, Arkham Asylum from Grant Morrison and Dave McKean. But I mean, there's too many. Those are two. Those there. are pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, like those are ones I'm sure. Those are, my, those are like my two like desert island books. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you find yourself? I mean, obviously you're the you you're a writer, but because you're working with the artists and stuff, like, do you find yourself? gravitating towards the art first when you pick up a comic or because you know who it is do you see or, or mm. the story like so when you i don't know how to describe this let's say something brand new came and you saw mm. a picture and at the same time you were able to see what it was going to look like inside as well as who wrote it and the artist all that is there one thing that pops up earlier than something else where you're like, oh, I know I like his art or, oh, I know I love his words. I'm very aesthetically driven. So I, I became a writer because I went to film school and I wrote things that I thought I wanted to make, then wound up selling some of the things I wrote. And then I got what they call golden handcuffs. Um, so you're making more yeah. money as one thing than the other thing you sort of intended to do. And so then you just kind of keep doing that one thing. But I'm, I'm a visualist by nature. Okay. I think in images. So for me, while the writing, while the writing would definitely be important in the reading experience, I likely am, will pick up a book that has art that I'm more interested in mm -hmm. with a writer I didn't know than a writer whose work I love, but I just aesthetically disconnect. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Johnny, you got a other, other question? Yeah. This one from Ryan Big Mac. Uh, that's making me hungry now. It's, you know, it's like dinner time for me. Who is your guys' favorite Power Ranger? And why was it the Green Ranger in Mighty Morphin? <laughs> um, well, I guess the Green Ranger is the archetype for like, that's always the character, right? It's always like that yeah. one person on the squad that's always like quitting, has a risk of going bad and the whole thing, right? You know, and it's like, you know, it's like, well, that's why everyone loves Anakin, you know, because it's, it's always there. Like you can never really go wrong with the character with the character with the volatile nature yes. you know like the the hero with the volatile nature that's always on the verge of corruption that will probably at least get you a car if you write that <laughs> car <laughs> wow. guarantee a house, that's awesome but you can guarantee you a car there, yeah <laughs> any others johnny this one from jesus crust uh, he always asks uh, great questions uh, for Brian, what is the process like for writing and editing for well-known IPs like Batman? Do you find the creative freedom harder or easier with established franchises? Oh, I think it it, it depends on the the apparatus you're working with. It. So I've been very very lucky because I've always worked with editors that were great to work with, um, who created an environment where I can create and then sort of get told like where I'm going too far, but it was never contentious. Like I'm working on a thing right now, I can't announce it, but I'm doing uh, a story for a pretty well-known character in a comic book um, where uh, I'm, you know, kind of going into the, the, the origin-esque aspects of it, like all the stuff, right? But I'm in an environment where I have a kind of a, a nice open relationship um, to discuss like, okay, well, I want to do this. What happens if I do that? Can I do that? So that makes it pretty easy. 
there are situations where you're kind of in a in a minefield a little bit um, because you don't really have a lot of room to move and you don't really right. know what you can do. And that can be frustrating, but I can usually smell those before I commit to it. And those are the jobs I don't take. But yes, those situations certainly exist on. And, and if you're going to make a career uh, based on working on IPs, then you should be prepared to, to have, have that pop up bottlenecks and roadblocks um, because of things that are pretty much outside of your control. Gotcha. Any others, Especially Johnny? with connected universes the way they are to now, right? Because you never know like what's being developed over here. Yeah, and what's, I mean? yeah. yeah what's going to suddenly, your character's going to show up in another game somewhere or another right. another show. Another game, another show, exactly. Yep. Oh, we got another question for Brian here. This one from Astike, uh CJ. <laughs> Astake? CJ. CJ. Uh, for Brian, where there are any projects... Uh, that you were rejected from and do you think it was for the best oh I mean, if you can speak to this actually absolutely like you know you know you will know any career by the trail of of, of failures and, and <laughs> nose yeah. you know failure best yeah. teacher there is it, it is um, sucks though when you're going through it oh for sure and and you know and I, I don't think for like legal reasons i don't think i can really talk about specific things um you know, look, the way I reconcile it is this. I try to put my best foot forward, share what I think is the best creative direction on a given thing. And I've, I've lived long enough in this business to know that there are a lot of reasons you get a no. And not being good enough usually isn't it. And, and the truth is, if you're up for an opportunity, they think you're good enough to do it. Gotcha. Right. What they're looking for is some kind of specific cube to square fit that you will not be aware of. Because if they make you aware of it, it might influence what you say <laughs> and close off your imagination so there's a lot of like pin the tail on the invisible donkey, right? Right, and <laughs> and once I I worked because when you first start in this business, you don't know many executives personally. They are just the people on the other side of the desk that either hire you and you get paid, or they don't hire you, you don't get paid. Right. The longer you work in the business, the more you start to learn who these people are, like as people. Some of them become your friends, even if you never work with them. Yeah. They tell you their anecdotal experiences about what it's like to be them. And then you realize, oh, it was never about me not being good enough. It was that they wanted a thing on Thursday, then something came out on Friday and it made a bunch of money on Friday. So they wanted a different thing on Friday, but then on Saturday it fell off by 35%. They didn't want that thing on Sunday anymore. And so your Thursday thing was they didn't want to do that movie. You know what I mean? Like it's not... So once you, once you learn, like, it's not a good enough, you know, like if you're in the room, you're good enough. Right. Um, and, and that sort of like made it pretty easy for me to remove ego from the process. Um, and, and now, you know, I just kind of share what I, what I would do with the thing. And uh, a lot of times I've gotten work from people that have told me no, you know, very rarely is someone who hired me, someone who told me yes, the first time. Not only that, but how many more do we got, Johnny? Cause I, Oh, we have one more okay. that we haven't um, already we'll answered in a second. In but I want to say, uh, Brian, also, 
Dude, one of the best things I've ever done is um, most of my boss, like I got hired and then two of my favorite bosses in the world I had big issues with at first. And mm -hmm. um, they're both very militant like, but once I got to know them and started talking to them, the no that I got was in no way, shape or form uh, individual. They were told no many times. And the mm -hmm. stories that they told me, yeah, there might be a funny story here or there, but what was going on was they were like, they would tell me stories and I'd be like, oh shit, this person told me no on Tuesday, which made me go, uh, but then they were told no on something they wanted to do on Monday, which made mm -hmm. them go. And you realize pretty much everybody's in the same boat of no's. Mm -hmm. And that boat of no may be for a reason that it is. it might be connected to you and maybe you need to bone up on something. I've certainly had that, but other times it's just like, Thing, it's a filter. Certain things came together. The no hit you as well, but that person's lived the same bullshit you have. And you know, there's some people with golden parachutes. And one of the things I, I, I that I really do believe is that everybody's hell is relative. And so sometimes you hear somebody who will tell you a sad story, and you're like, that ain't that sad. But you'll be like, you know what? For them, for them and their life, that is sad. You know, mm -hmm. I've had cancer. That person hasn't had cancer, but they've lost their home. That's that's a that's a and I haven't. God, you know, so far that's, that's awesome in a weird, horrible way that we both have an experience, but it's like, I know a lot of people who will leave a group activity or they'll leave applying for something and they'll be like, oh man, I heard no, this is terrible. The focus is on them. And it's like, eh. all the people in the room who just judged you or decided that they're saying no many times because of their filters that they've been told. Maybe they said, I want Brian. And the person above them said, well, he better bring his quad triple a game and they get in there right. and maybe you didn't cause you didn't feel as alive. And so they tell you, no, you may go away being like what, but in real life, maybe that person was fighting for you and it just shit didn't work out, man. And totally, you, and, you have and, you to know, separate yourself from the laser beam that it can feel like. My journey has been so circuitous that I, I have to kind of adopt a philosophy of when, when the force closes the door, it opens a window because that's kind of been my entire life. <laughs> and I think it's, it's for me, it's just, I, I just maintain my sanity by finding the opportunity in things, you know, and because I, I traffic in imagination, not getting a job is time I can spend creating a new thing on my to own. To get another time job. I can, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and, and you just can't internalize it because right. it is, and I, and I really, I genuinely mean, there's one thing from this, this podcast appearance that, that I want people to really pay attention to. It's, you know, please don't take professional rejection personally. It is 99.9% .9 of the time, never personal. Yeah. And it, it just has to do with a bunch of external factors that you're just not aware of. You know, um, I describe Hollywood as a, a tower of people who are all scared of being told no with one person at the top. Yeah. Who's scared of getting knocked off the top. It's absolutely true. And it's true not only in Hollywood, but that's true. <laughs> right. I worked I worked at a place where I, like that is that. And that's one of the reasons why I think I did well, because I was like, who gives a shit if it's a no? And so I just douche and they'd be like, OK, well, I guess we're going with what Carrick says. And I'll be like, yes, you are. But in well, real life. That's another that, thing, Carrick. That's that's a, I just want to drop anchor on that. Um, just TV term, drop anchor in a discussion. I want to drop anchor on that because one of the things, ironically, uh, is those who do not care if they are rejected usually get rejected less. And yeah, there's something part about of that, that. Is there's a when you're afraid, you're magnetized to people who don't have fear. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and so when you're scared and most people are scared yeah. uh, and, and you're encountering someone that's a happy warrior, you know, about it all, usually that creates a better climate in the room. Yeah. Makes the other person comfortable. And I always say uh, people don't hire projects. They hire people. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and because the project you'll work you'll work out the details with the project. He'll go to Krypton, or he won't, or the thing will blow up, or won't, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. But you're you're really like it's the vibe, you know, and and you can and you can win with a no if you build a connection. So go into your meetings, your pitches, your presentations, whatever it is, enjoying the act of it, enjoy yeah. the moment. And don't have a goal of, I need to get the gig as much as it'd be cool if this was a connection. Yeah. And if you go in with that mentality, one, you always, usually you walk out with something more than what you had going in. And then two, it'll probably turn into one and you'll do something in the future. I'll ask this next question. That's a super chat, but I also want to add in that, uh, dude, you just hit on something that blew, blew me away. I would say about 95% of the people I've hired and my job was hiring around the world for various uh, projects about 95% of the people I hired was a second choice mm -hmm. because the first oh. choice didn't work out. Maybe they were loved by a lot and they took a higher paying job or what have you. So if a person came in and was, was like, here's my stuff. And you're like, oh, man, they're just not there. They're like, this is just not going to work out. Blah, blah, blah. The first person would inevitably fall apart for whatever reason. I'd be like, sure, sure. we're going, you know, we got Iron Man for the new project. I'm not going to have to worry about shit. And they'd be like, yeah, you know why you like them? Because a bunch of people did. They're the highest. This is what we have. The person would go. And the second person would also inevitably become this the first person mm -hmm. later. And and I'm sure we've all had that. Um, I want to bring up this $10 super chat. Strevin says, very cool talk today, guys. Brian, you've got such a great perspective on storytelling. Looking forward to Callisto Protocol. Great podcast. Last question. What do you got there, Johnny? Okay, last question here uh, from Scotty. Do you ha do you guys have a favorite art style when it comes to video games? Pixel art, hyper realistic, low poly, etc. Does it influence your overall enjoyment of the product? Well, well, first, thank you to the person that left that last comment. Yeah, I very nice. Appreciated that. Thank you very much. Uh, no, I mean, no, you know, it's it's. Look, if I were to just tell you right now, like if I look at like what games I've purchased. They tend to be, you know, kind of the your triple A realistic graphics mm -hmm. kind of experiences. However, like, you know, there's a lot of things that I love. You know, uh, like I love cell shading. You know, yeah. when it shows up, it, it's 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 more about I think how it's all coming together in motion in gaming than just is the image interesting. If that makes sense, you know, like. Like, so like cell shading in Borderlands works for me most of the time. Cell shading, you know, in like 13 didn't. Yeah. I, it's not like my opinion of shell shading. It's everything kind of built around it. I will say it is difficult for me now to joyfully revisit the era of Brown of the Xbox 360. 360. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they were just I, I already brown. knew what he was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> the moment you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> Dude, it yeah. was ridiculous. It was like people Rough. discovered another. It's like the rods in their eyes suddenly started working again, and they're like, "Whoa, Rough. there's blue and yellow. Let's at least do that." <laughs> it's a I, little rough for a bit, dude. It was, it was, 
I remember walking out of Fallout 3, in fact, and that was a, a Xbox 360 game, and I call, I told my friend, he's like, hey, do you like this game? And I'm like, it's it's a it's a brown simulator. I fucking hate it. It looks terrible. And admittedly, it took me a long time, and then it's become my favorite game. But I, I did not think of that, Brian. Somebody else brought that up in our Discord a couple weeks ago. They were like, all these games are brown. And I admittedly, I did find out later there were some reasons why that For was sure. done. I'm sure but, optimize this or that. Bro, you're or right that though. It was, it was, it's ridiculous. When you go back and look, you'll be like, rough. oh my God, they are all brown. It's super rough. Yeah, it's super rough. And you look at these games that, by the way, we might've loved them. You're, But you know how you're in the pot and it's slowly boiling. You're not really thinking about it. And then you look back oh. and you're like, what? And it may percolate. Yeah, it's hot in here. It's brown around here. But everything else was brown. Dude, and that's why I think, by the way, I think Halo worked so well. Yeah, I do believe it, that Halo... It, it broke out of that color palette. It did, it did. And you saw yeah. Resistance, which Resistance 2 in particular looked fantastic. Killzone looked fantastic. But there's something about that aquamarine, um, mm -hmm. uh, crystalline kind of thing that makes a person go, oh, God, thank you. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because we walk outside and there is brown for a lot of us and it is just ground. Well, I think I don't know what it is... It is. Part of it is that that I call it like the, you know the the Halo color combination or the Avatar color yeah Avatar yeah it, absolutely it's fairly rare in nature that's true and so I think our eye immediately recognizes that as different dude that's so I didn't even think right yes I'm gonna have and, to write and, it. I never thought you, about that <laughs> as you just said we see a lot of brown yeah <laughs> yeah know? and um, and gray for like Fallout. And then right. brown was my issue there. But then when I saw it, dude, that's that's yeah. that's a poignant point right there. I hadn't thought about that. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It's just not a combination you see naturally occurring a lot. I mean, some tropical environments for sure, mm -hmm. specific places. But you know, in in the um, uh, in the biomes that we normally you know right. travel through, not really going to see that combination. Is that why snow levels? They, they, and this is so. I have talked about this in the opposite way that snow levels bring the child out in me mm -hmm. and i absolutely know it's because of christmas so mm -hmm. i'll play a snow level and i'll immediately like it better because they, you have an emotional connection there's an emotional snow. connection yeah and i'll be like oh my god a snow level this is great and people will be like nah it's not a good game and later yeah. you'll be like yeah it wasn't but that snow was cool you know totally that i i hadn't thought about that the familiarity of it wow that's absolutely true yeah damn uh did you have another one johnny that's quick I want sure to slide a quick question for Brian, which I think is a good one to end we'll on because he mentioned, in. slide it in. Uh, you mentioned Asimov, and I know you've you know, read oh, yeah. and, and done a lot of sci-fi. So for you, when you think about the future, let's put a number on it. Let's say 30 years from now, okay? okay. 30 Are you an okay. optimist or like a doomsday or somewhere in between? Where do you settle on? In terms of AI technology, you oh, know, Johnny going civilization. deep. Oh, Johnny's optimist. going deep. Give me a gun. Optimist. I thought you meant like optometrist. Not call upon us at a time of our. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what you meant. Um, uh, uh, okay. Yes and no. Okay. I my my core fear is that in thirty years the world will be very good for people who can afford it mm. and incredibly difficult for people who can't. And I think the mobility 
from getting from the place where you can't afford to make your ends meet mm. to a place of comfort is getting reduced almost like by the year, right? So what I, what I see is, I see a future where if you have means, you're gonna have incredible healthcare and incredible educational systems. You're gonna have incredible convenience at your home. You're gonna have an incredible relationship to finance money to be able to do all these things. But 30 years ago, if you were born into an impoverished environment, it was easier to get out of it because you could still learn everything you needed to learn in that environment if you worked at it because it didn't require access to expensive things. Ah, gotcha. Right? Yeah. So one of the one of one of my my um core concerns is what I call digital fluency. And digital yeah. fluency is a byproduct of people who have environments where they have the technology to develop that fluency, right? So if you go into a middle-class neighborhood and you give someone a slate computer, a slate device like an iPad to a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you might see digital fluency. Yeah, They don't understand what all the apps do, but they know how to get through them. They know how to swipe pages. Yeah. They kind of understand functionality. You go into a place where they're not, you know, they don't have the same kind of means, a uh, more impoverished environment. You may not see that same immediate fluency. And you're saying life is requiring that fluency in life more and more each year, more and more. I mean, we take for granted, like, again, when we think about, when we think about literacy, we think about reading, but literacy is simply the ability to uh, read and understand. Right. And there's a technological literacy, a, a digital literacy that requires a kind of buy-in to have. You yeah. know, and, and as the world is more and more based on Windows and iOS environments and knowing how to use all this stuff in a hyper-efficient way, um, people that don't have that same literacy are going to have a harder time finding a job, a harder time, you know, finding a, a career that where you could advance, just like a harder time in school. Like when I was in school, the most expensive thing that I had to get, and I was a scholarship kid, so I was broke, but I went to a private school and I had to get this TI-85 calculator. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that was like a hundred bucks or something. And, and, you know, it, it was kind of an expensive thing. Like, my, you know, like getting one was not a painless experience for my household, but I had to have one for, you know, uh, for classes. Nowadays, if a kid doesn't have a smartphone, yeah. a laptop, right. And you're talking yeah. about a $1,200 device, another $1,500 device. You don't have the PC so you can do the thing and whatever. Um, so I, I'm optimistic in, in an objective way, for sure. I think that there are incredible developments on the horizon. I just worry that the future will not be shared. Um, and uh, I don't see a lot of concern about that now. And it's a lot easier to start, start fixing it now than fixing it in a reactive way. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we're kind of looking at Night City. Yeah. Night City. Unfortunately, oh, kind of think that's, that's where we're going. <laughs> you Dude, know, and it, remember it when good, you went you know? to school because i was born in 76 75 and when i when i went to school my mom and dad had to pay your school sign up i think it was like 100 bucks for a public sign up there were various different papers you had to make sure you had shots that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then you got some clothes and uh there was football and football didn't cost um and my parents had very rough summers 
And then winters were fine because my mom was a school secretary. So they didn't have right, pur right. PERS. They didn't pay them when they were off like they do oh, now. Oh, right. So you're sort of living lean when we you're were working. And it and was then... lean. I mean, yeah. dude, we're talking like, yeah, MREs for real. Like mm -hmm. bought in bulk so we could eat. And I, I remember my mom, you know, she, they tried to hide it. But I remember one time football cost for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And there was an insurance you had to pay. And I remember my mom and my mom was like, okay, well, just go without pantyhose for a while. And you don't, as a kid, I wasn't tracking it's, all it's that. Right, yeah, I, I wanted sure. to go. We were talking about homicidal children where everything's about right. us. But I was like, I want right. to go. I want to go. And this is one of the reasons why you were talking. And, and I'm bringing this around. You were talking about fluency and literacy. This is one of the reasons why I always help my parents because they are illiterate when it comes to technology now. And in right. them, I see like you said, in places where they're not able, that's what I see right. in my parents who don't have a literacy. So when they do see a desktop or a link, they click it because there's just no thought process. There's no familiarity with it. Right. And yeah. if you even look, and so if anybody here is trying to figure out how to draw any correlation, I would say there's a very good chance your parents are exactly the kind of like lack of knowledge as what mm -hmm. he's talking about, if not way worse, because many times they'll have some kind of connection. Somebody else may not even have the ability to have a cell phone, which is weird that some places require it. But I want to say this, dude, you're the best fucking podcast invitee ever. I'm always and happy to be amazing. here. Dude, I know. It was a great conversation. This is what pisses me off because we've talked and I'm, I, I always watch your stuff. I read your shit. And I'm like, okay, we got to get, and I, I, admittedly, I just get in a funk where I forget, like, we, it's Friday sure. to Friday and I don't invite you. But, dude, seriously, your ability to explain yourself is so dramatically master Jedi level that when you talk, <laughs> yeah, people dude. are, I bet you somebody's going to comment about this and be like, it's the first fucking podcast. Because yeah. people can be everybody. good at one thing, but then, like, being dude, articulate at explaining it's it. insane. Yeah. I was sitting here <laughs> going, like, oh my God. Like there's so much I'm gonna well, definitely I, listen I knew to this a couple podcast times. that was coming on, so you I gotta had to be bring prepped, my a right? Game. Dude, you brought my stuff, you know. Yeah, the you problem is nuggets, your A game dude. is like my Q or S tier <laughs> game. Like I'm not even there yet, dude. You're 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 simply one of the best people that I've ever met, one of the most intelligent people. But your ability to parse data and and give it to people, I saw people in the chat even saying the same thing and saying like, "Oh my, like this is awesome." I don't. I think we had a structure. When we started, and I admit some people are going to be when mad. The They'll window, be like, dude, "What are time timestamps?" I'll be like, "I don't even know how to timestamp something like this, dude." If anybody gets a chance, Brian Edward Hill on Twitter, Titans, uh, right in Power Rangers movie. There's a reason why he's doing all this. Uh, did Batman and the Outsiders, which I've now got. I admit I haven't. I didn't get a chance. Killmonger, American Carnage. What other stuff are you working on right now? Oh, Callisto Protocol, writing That's the comic. Upcoming, yep. Uh, you can you can pre-order that game right now if you want to. I hate to suggest that to people, but I like the people that are making it. So there's pre-order. It's possible. It's possible. But it's a cool game, and I love the I love working in the comic book. That'll be good. And follow me on Twitter. I have a bunch of really cool announcements on the way. Um, I'm very busy. I'm just you know I got NDAs all on top of me, but yeah. uh, um, to, you know I just. Want to say well thank you Carrick, for the kind words yeah, dude, you know and thank awesome. you johnny like it's yeah. always a pleasure being here and thank you everyone who was listening to this and commenting and thank you for the questions it's all great you know you can find me on social media everything is basically my name you know brian edward hill and uh just you know everyone just stay safe out there and you know keep it positive that that'll end it for us thank you everybody for watching if you get a chance and you are watching and you remember some stuff feel free to put some time stamps time stamps in this i might have to 
grab somebody and ask them to do it. But thank you everybody for watching. Peace out.